the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, we're going to have a really fascinating episode and a fascinating guest a little bit later on the show. But right now, let's just talk shop a little bit and talk about the things that have been going on. Now, over at OurStrangePlanet.com, Chris, you were reporting extensively about your trip to Mayan territory. This was ahead of the expiration of the Mayan calendar, which, of course, had no end result. Anything of import you can tell us about that trip? Well... Yeah, it uh, it was great to be down there before the craziness. My brother uh, and his wife have a tour service that uh, does specialized travel uh, packages down to uh, the five countries where the Maya live. And they were down there for 2012, and, and it was just an absolute madhouse. The locals down there gouged all the tourists. Stuff so, was tripled in price. So, so a Diet Coke was $4. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was ridiculous. Uh, a ride to the airport from Cancun, which is normally 18 to $20, was 60 So I'm glad I went down there <laughs> beforehand. So basically, they believed the world was going to end, so they might as well cash in. Yeah, I guess you could say that. You know, it's, it's interesting. They've had a bunch of uh, interesting sightings around Antigua and Ixtapa down in Guatemala. Interesting UFO activity that occurred the night of the 21st. And in the ensuing week, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of digging to see if there's anything to it. The one bit of video I saw looked like a plane coming in for landing with its landing lights on. But evidently, there's other, there's other posts uh, online of uh, interesting aerial activity, including some daylight stuff. So I'm, I'm doing a little bit of digging on that. I find that a little curious. But, you know, this Y2012K thing i think it's just a red herring it's like the ultimate uh, tricksterish event i think in culture i think after everybody sort of breathes a big sigh of relief that the world didn't end we're going to see some really interesting things happen i think in july uh possibly into august and uh that's you know i do stay away from prophesizing and believing in my prophesizing but <laughs> i have a hunch for some reason that uh we're going to have some really Really uh, nefarious times here in, in, in the midsummer. Nefarious. I don't like the taste of that. How so? Well, that's just that's my, my gut feeling, and I'm sticking to it. it. It makes sense, you know, get everybody breathing a big sigh of relief, and then when they least expect it, boom. You mean like the fiscal cliff that never was? Yeah. You know, we are living uh, tenuous, interesting times, and I, I really have a sense that we're headed into a very a very intense period in in, uh, in history. And, you know, I, I have nothing to back that up, but uh, I do, I just have that feeling, Gene, kind of feel it in my bones. Oh, wow. I'll tell you, things are screwy. I'll give you one example. Just before we recorded the show, a few hours before, our web server experience was called a distributed denial of service attack, which is called DDoS. And what that means is somebody will send us loads and loads of unwanted traffic, like 30,000 simultaneous connections to a single server, which is like, can blow up your server. can be pretty wild. And apparently they were trying to retrieve the same few episodes of the Paracast dating from July of last year. Now, in July of last year, we had five guests, because there were five Sundays. James Fox, Antonio Honeas, 
Jim Mosley, Greg Bishop, and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. So maybe the gin were after us. Mm-hmm. Stranger things have happened, I'm sure. <laughs> I thought of the episode with Mosley. You know, that maybe Jim, in the other side, now that he's passed on, finally learned how to use a computer. So what did he want to do? He decided he was going to download one of his shows. But he's not fully trained, you see, on using a personal computer. And he bought a Windows computer, not a Mac. So he had the more complicated computer. So he kept downloading the same file tens of thousands of times. Yeah. (laughs) It it wouldn't surprise me, uh, although... Mosley on a computer, I mean, that that would be a shock, but... (sighs) Mosley was, I still think, a good guy in the end, even though he did some pretty wacky things. I'm kind of sad, though, that it doesn't look as if we'll ever get to see the final issue of Saucer Smear. There was a new issue that Jim had finished just before he went to the hospital. All right? And that issue was supposed to be mailed by either his friends or his daughter, Elizabeth. And as of now, hasn't happened. So mm. I don't know. Well, we just have to hope for the best and give them our support and, you know, just hope for the best. I, I'm also sad to report that we lost another uh, longtime researcher investigator, Philip Coppins, uh, died of galloping angiosarcoma. Uh, I mean, he literally was diagnosed and, and, and was gone, passed over uh, in a month. And is this one of those kind of diseases that really remains undetected? Yeah. You don't get any real bad symptoms until you're right near the end. So it's not something, yeah. well, I don't feel well, I'll go to the doctor, I'll check it out. By the time it's discovered, it's too late? Yeah, it's a very rare form of cancer. It's, uh, I, I think it's like some sort of tumor, a cancerous uh, sarcoma uh, of the blood vessels. And uh, I haven't heard the details about where where the tumor was located, but boy, to to, to you know check into a hospital, get you know they had a problem diagnosing it, uh, evidently, and but to be gone in a month, I mean that's that's really that's really awful. And you know our our condolences go out to Philip's family, and you know I had met Philip on a number of occasions, and we did correspond. Uh, he interviewed me extensively for for a book, and. I really liked the guy. He he was very, very smart, very up to speed, uh, was involved in quite a variety of investigative work uh, in terms of subject matter. And, you know, I think a lot of our, our listeners are going to miss his um, unique brand of insight. Of course, he was featured prominently on Ancient Aliens for the first four seasons, and uh, he's going to be missed. Uh, he was a really, really good guy. Uh, he's one of the good guys. If you check our archives of the Paracast back on November 6th, 2011, We talked about him, and he was just a great guest. The book that he was pushing at the time, The Ancient Alien Question, A New Inquiry into the Existence, Evidence, and Influence of Ancient Visitors. Fascinating book. Philip Coppins, he was what, 40 years old or early 40s? I think he just turned 40. Oh, that's terrible. You know, I feel when someone like that dies, you you think you go back to Mac Tony's was in his 30s when he died and just at the beginning of some real real major work that he was accomplishing you know he came out with that book he was just finishing it on the crypto terrestrials which was published by anomalous books after he passed on just so sad we lose these people you know when someone dies in there in their 70s and their 80s you celebrate their lives they live the long life and you say you know all right 
Jim was 81, Jim Mosley. Patti Page died this week. She was 85. Famous singer, very popular for pop and country-flavored music in the 60s and 70s. And she had been performing almost until the end, the last couple of years when she started getting real ill. But that kind of life you celebrate. A lot of famous people died in the past year in their 80s and 90s, and people live longer nowadays. And then you look at someone who dies in their 30s and 40s, and that is just so sad. It's really sad, you know. So on this week's episode, we're back to UFOs again. After a bit of a segue, Micah Hanks of the Graylian Report joins us. He's got a new book out called The UFO Singularity. I just love the title. I think it's about a good the title. Book. The it's title a good is great. Book too, Gene. Yes. It's a good book. I've read I, I really I, I devoured it in two sittings. I I really think Mike is on to something here. This is gonna be a real interesting show. He's one of the bright rising uh, young stars of the field, and this is gonna be a really good show. It's a breezy book in terms of reading. He's a really great writer. The book is only like two hundred and fifty pages with loads and loads of references. So a book like that, as you say, you devour it in a couple of sittings. And it's worth it, and it's going to be a really, really fascinating show. No yep. end of the world stuff this week. <laughs> Micah <laughs> no, Hanks. We're still here. We're still here. Yes, we are. We have Micah Hanks coming up with Gene and Chris. You're in. The Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic any time. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. What's better than Mountain House freeze-dried food? Buckets of Mountain House freeze-dried food. 
Now the freeze-dry guy introduces convenient, easy-to-store Mountain House survival buckets filled with our top-selling items. Each item is sealed in a Mylar-type pouch, and each pouch is neatly packed in clear buckets so you can easily see the contents inside. These Mountain House survival buckets come with well over a 25-year shelf life and are perfect for emergency preparedness, camping, backpacking, or at-home use. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on freeze-dried foods, and choose our 12-month, 6-month, 3-month, 1-month, or or seven-day Mountain House Survival Bucket with 32 generous servings starting at just $69.95. And all orders to the lower 48 ship free. Call 866-404-3663 or go to freezedryguy.com. That's 866-404-3663 or go to freezedryguy.com. 100% veteran-owned. The Freeze Dry Guy. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Alley C. Why Alley C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Alley C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Alley C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Alley C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Alley C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Alley C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Alley C. For more information and to order Alley C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Alley C today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. On the Paracast with Gene and Chris this week, we're joined by Micah Hanks. He's been on the show a couple, three times before, and he always has something just really fascinating. And this time we're talking about a new book of his called The UFO Singularity. And it goes on, the possibilities are endless, and they're already here. So I'm just going to ask, Micah, first welcome back to the show, but that subtitle, Endless Possibilities Already Here, what do you mean by that? <laughs> it is a bit complex, isn't it? Uh, you know, and, and the funny thing about that subtitle, I have to say, is that uh, you know, the folks at New Page Books they said let's let's not just do a typical subtitle. Let's ask some questions. That that's more in keeping with what we're going for with this this uh, this idea. In other words, let's, let's uh, take into consideration other possibilities and potentials that may exist in the universe around us. And one of the things that uh, that I like to say first to answer your question is that. Uh, you always hear that adage, whatever the military has, you know, it's a few few decades ahead of us, and it's, it's, it's you know, well beyond what we here on the uh, civilian level are aware of. I would argue that in, in some cases that is certainly the case, but it, when we look at the trends that our technology is taking, and we pair that with the idea that there may be certain technologies here in our midst already here on Earth, or the idea that the trends that technology are taking may help us to learn something about the potentials for alien life elsewhere in the universe and other varieties of different uh, intelligences that may exist out there. I think that it gives us a more, uh, dare I say, a holistic kind of approach to studying UFOs in the sense that we can maybe better determine uh, the different potentials that exist outside the conventional model of UFOs are alien 
you know, extraterrestrial spacecraft that have traveled here from Zeta to Reticuli. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, there has to be some merit to that uh, viewpoint for it to have, you know, stuck with us and stuck in people's minds for so many decades. But I definitely think that we have to revise some of our old theories just as well. And so as opposed to being the, the historian type and endlessly chronicling the UFO matter from you know case to case and study to study, uh, I've tried to look at technology and the trends that our own technology uh, appear to be taking right now and apply that to what we already observe in UFO reports and look at things from that perspective. And that essentially is what we do with the UFO singularity. Okay, so this is something I'd like to understand a little bit further as we progress with this episode, and that is why should our technology have anything to do with ufos unless we're following the same path which may be a stretch or we are aware of what path they're following and that's why we're following this path that's a good question you know what i've often wondered is uh, and, and, and to kind of encapsulate this i had a copy of national geographic magazine lying around here uh, and on the cover it says are we alone uh, the subtitle there is searching the heavens for another earth that that right there says it says it all to me uh, we're searching the heavens for another earth it was worded eloquently and it sounds really nice but in my opinion the problem with our conventional study of UFOs is that we are just looking for another Earth. We're also just looking for other Earthlings. We're not looking for really, truly what I would consider to be exotic alien life. We're looking for something that is going to be a lot like us. Wouldn't that be a comfort factor, too? I mean, you have bug-eyed aliens, you have weird creatures that might be based on silicon substances instead of carbon, that kind of thing. That we look at that because we're more comfortable with aliens that are humanoid. We're used to Star Trek, and Star Trek, most of the aliens, but not all of them, were with various ridges and ears and other accoutrements of alienness. I don't know how I even said that word. <laughs> are actually basically like us. Yeah, we are basically looking for humanoid aliens. You know, what is the potential? You know, Star Trek and, and Star Wars and all the, the, the films that have helped, you know, uh, blissfully anthropomorphize our conception of alien life, those are fun, and I enjoy those. And if, coming back to your original question, Gene, if we're looking for alien life, and Gene, coming back to your original question about whether alien life and human technology really may have to do with one another, if we do take into consideration that anthropomorphic element, in other words, if alien life elsewhere could be like us, then certainly our technological trends, it stands to reason, might follow similar paths to our own uh so you know but i still think that it's important although uh, the uh classic ideas of star trek and star wars and these you know these beings that are like us they're humanoids that's fun and that's maybe something we should take into consideration but we should also be looking at the potentials for life not like what we would expect to find on earth we shouldn't just be looking for other humans in the universe we should be looking for something similar to ourselves as well as the potential for exotic maybe even non-physical intelligences but how do you find that, you know? <laughs> I love that. And I've always loved, for instance, the example that Terrence McKenna came up with about, uh, he, he said probably the, the most likely alien life form on the planet is the um, psilocybin mushroom that yeah. drifted through space and has been slowly working on us, uh, jump-starting our consciousness. And uh, it's actually an alien life form. I've always loved that <laughs> particular out-of-the-box thinking. And, and you're right, Mike. I think we, we all have this... You know, the media and the popular culture has front-loaded everybody with this um, idea that uh, aliens are going to somehow be bipedal and, and uh, you know, humanoid in appearance and, and that they use radios. So let's go ahead and spend millions of dollars looking for uh, alien radio signals. Um, a lot of this, to me, doesn't make sense. And I think your book does a good job pointing out 
that we really need to get creative in our thinking and really start thinking outside of the box here. Well, absolutely. And, and coming back to the Terrence McKenna argument, you know, that's not something that a lot of people, uh, at least as it pertains to ufology, are going to be focusing on. Uh, and I find that uh, when it comes to looking at ufology we, and, and thinking outside the box, you have to get a little cross-disciplinary with things. You have to be able to look at, uh, for instance, the potential that a non-physical intelligence may not utilize radio communication uh, for purposes of communicating with humankind. There, there could be a variety of different ways that humans uh, could be reached and contacted by alien intelligences. Uh, but then again, our conception of what an alien intelligence is is going to have to change before that can, that can occur. When you look at radio telescopes and what they're trying to do, they're trying to use today's technology to guess how aliens might communicate with one another. And even if the signal is received by them, it doesn't mean they are under any constraints to answer us. And it doesn't mean that we would be able to detect those signals. It's very possible they have ways of filtering them so other people like us won't figure out what's going on. Absolutely. And, and something else to think in, take into consideration, kind of along that same line of thought, when, when we look at like Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke's 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, now granted his technological forecasts for the future weren't necessarily spot on, although we did see things that were similar to Skype, you know, and video chatting and, and things along those lines. We weren't, of course, uh, you know, doing manned moon missions or rather uh, missions to uh, Jupiter's uh, you know, you know, four out planets and moons and things like that. We certainly have been to the moon. We haven't got a, a base up there yet, but uh, at least if there's no secret space program, we don't. <laughs> That's right. At least as far as we know. And again, that and that brings to mind the, uh, the the thing that I brought up earlier is that you know maybe there are technologies existent here that we aren't entirely aware of. Uh, Joseph Farrell and some of these researchers and their uh, their interest in such things as a secret space program is definitely something that I take into consideration as well. But uh, in, at least in conventional terms, we haven't traveled to Jupiter and beyond the infinite yet, as, as Clark put it, and as Kubrick, of course, uh, famously put it on the, uh, on the silver screen. But what I would bring to, to mind is that, you know, in the, uh, the climax of the film 2001, the interaction with a non-human intelligence isn't a physical alien coming down and shaking hands with an astronaut. It, it was something that was, uh, you know, Chris, to borrow from what we were, where we were kind of going with the Terrence McKenna argument, it was something that was a little more uh, almost visceral in a sense. It was, it was a, a psychological and a, and a sensational kind of a thing. It uh, struck us, hit us at our subconscious level, not our conscious level. we got more to come. The book is called The UFO Singularity. Micah Hanks is the author. You're with Gene and Chris, of course, because you're in The Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio. DreamHost.com slash radio. Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. 
land in Buenos Aires, then a shuttle to Santa Rosa, where a nicely furnished cabin with all amenities, Wi-Fi, executive food and wine, and laundry service awaits. After a good night's sleep, your adventure begins. You're on a golden stag safari for big game. But it's not Africa. It's Argentina. One-on-one guided hunts for water buffalo, cougar, bighorn rams, wild boar, and the biggest stag deer in South America. All gold medal quality. All the action you can handle. Land Rovers, top rental guns with scopes, all food, beverages, hunting guides, ground transportation included, and more, all more affordable than you can imagine. The adventure of a lifetime starts at GoldenStagSafaris.com, the big game hunting ranch, GoldenStagSafaris.com. We have witnessed two terrible storms in the east, but we are still in the eye of the perfect storm. The most devastating economic condition since the Great Depression. America's worst drought in agricultural history. And now the economic results of the presidential election. This perfect storm is a huge threat to everyone's food supply. I just doubled down and got even more supplies from eFoods Direct. And I recommend you do the same. It's time to get your own supply from eFoods Direct. I know I won't be standing in a bread line trading my freedom for food. I'm taking control of my future. And you're nuts if you don't do the same. Go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex to find the specials. And you can start with a holiday gift pack that's normally $80, now under 50 bucks. Remember, I can warn you, but I can't feed you. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Would you rather prepare six months too early or one day too late? 409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Weakened by GMOs, stressed out about money, and blasted by the electric environment. Hi, I'm Pastor Jenny, and that was the state I was in back in 2010. Then I learned about RNA drops. I learned that 97% of my DNA that scientists have called junk is actually packed with millions of gene switches that play a critical role in controlling how my cells, organs, and other tissues behave. I learned I don't have to put up with disease decay or decline like I'd been conditioned to believe. I began taking RNA drops, a 100% natural formula designed to turn on those switches and provide me with amazing health and joy. Learn more about RNA drops and order a free sample today. Visit rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com. Or call toll-free 888-577-3703. Pay only shipping and handling for a free 30-day supply of RNA drops. Get the information you need and the health you want at rnafreesample.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We're back on the Paracast with Gene and Chris, talking to Micah Hanks. His book is called The UFO Singularity. And you were talking about using 2001 as an example, another way for E.T. to communicate with us. He doesn't just send us a radio signal or show up and say, take me to your leader, he approaches this on a subconscious level. So is that the way maybe they communicate amongst each other? 
You know, that's that's been a question that's uh, been asked a few times in the past. Uh, you know, do uh, alien communications uh, occur in, in, in such a way? And this wouldn't necessarily have to preclude something technological. We, we often hear abductees talking about uh, this uh, nonverbal mental communication, telepathic communication that they've experienced with alien beings. But I would argue that uh, at some point technology may allow functional telepathy and these sorts of things that seem so magical and supernatural to us today. The military is already working on, you know, field testing technologies that one day, we're not there yet as, we, as far as we know, but one day these may be utilized for purposes of indirect communication. The reason I say indirect is <laughs> we obviously don't want enemies to be able to just have access to some sort of a communication line uh, that utilizes what we would call telepathy. But the idea is for you know certain soldiers and certain generals to be able to communicate with one another and, and utilize a technology that would be very much like what we would consider to be telepathy these days, which we as yet do not understand. Let's assume now that an alien technology would try and harness a similar variety of technology and that they would utilize that. To me, that would be not only more plausible, that they would utilize a technology that could allow direct mind-to-mind communication, but also that that would explain a lot about why SETI programs don't seem to be linking us to extraterrestrial conversations that we're able to tap into and overhear. Let me ask you a question first before you go on. Okay, if we're looking at telepathic communication, and the reason I ask this is because the three novels my son and I wrote talk about an earth man and an alien woman communicating telepathically but the way we envisioned it the communication transcends time and space Ah. so there's no limitation it's not as if two minds talk to each other but they're limited by the speed of light or something so the question i would have here before we go on is it possible then when you have something like this occurring that you do not have to concern yourself about someone picking up on the transmission Or can you tune the frequency of your mind to the frequency of your contact's mind and somebody else can't interfere or intercept? (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question. I wish I really had the answer, but you know, coming back to what I was talking about, ideally, for military purposes, if a general were able to issue a command, uh, you know, that was received telepathically, uh, you know, by troops or, or you know, or, or, or whoever that needs to be able to receive that message, it would have to be uh, in a situation where that information being sent along, especially for tactical military purposes, would not be able to be hacked, so to speak, or hijacked. This is the very problem that we have with uh, with secret codes uh, utilizing uh, radio and things like that. Going back to the Second World War and what was it, the, uh, the Enigma machine? Was that the one? The idea that, uh, you know, essentially there are going to be people out there who can hack a code, cryptographers who can who can figure out what the enemy is talking about. We don't want that kind of a thing. And so if we're going to utilize a tele- telepathic technology or what we would liken to being uh, telepathy, it would have to be more efficient than what we already utilize for it to be effective. But that potential always exists and there's a danger inherent to that. If extraterrestrial technology, for instance, were utilizing something similar elsewhere in the universe, obviously it's effective enough to where we haven't been able to hack that, so to speak, and and, and discern that there are others out there utilizing that kind of technology as of yet. Hmm. I would like to be able to talk to people by mental telepathy. That would be fun. Uh, Think about as an interviewer what that would do for you. Well, I, I think about our listeners, though. You know, if I'm talking to our listeners telepathically, think about it this way. You don't need your radio. You don't need to be online with our player. You don't need to download a file. You just say, hey, I'll listen to the PowerCast this week. Let me just tune my mind to the proper frequency. There it is. Oh, I'm going to fast forward for the commercials. Boom. There I go. Well, you know, with the title, The UFO Singularity, while what I'm actually referring to specifically with that title 
entails the the potential that human technology in the future may reach a point where it mirrors much of the quote-unquote alien or UFO technology that we are capable of observing today. In terms of the, the more popular use of the term technological singularity today, it entails a lot of that sort of thing. The, the literal uh, cybernetic or even cyborg enhancement of humans in the future, that's one aspect of it. It also has a lot to do with the potential creation of artificial intelligence in the future. And I think that uh, at some point, this and this is kind of funny and, and even a, a bit mundane, but it's fun to entertain such ideas. What if in the future, uh, you know, wireless communication systems and things like that literally allow the download of audio podcasts and things like that into an individual rather than a device. Uh, you know, it's going to really change the playing field in terms of entertainment and things like that. And of course, there are all different kinds of applications. We wouldn't have to get into that in terms of what people might do to entertain themselves utilizing uh, virtual technology, essentially. It's, it's very interesting. But uh, when we look at what, what a lot of these futurists call transhumanism, some of those potentials do exist, and it very well may revolutionize not just military, uh, not just aeronautics and things that we might like into UFO technologies, but also it may very well revolutionize also who we are and how we adapt to our environment, whether that be for purposes of entertainment or, you know, consumption of food or even, you know, uh, reproduction. I mean, there are any number of potentials and possibilities. And a lot of people, I'll tell you guys, they're not entirely comfortable with that notion of humanity taking evolution into our own hands and changing to that degree. Well, and even to take it one step further, it could be a little disturbing to uh, even contemplate the, you know, uh, artificial intelligence becoming sentient uh, to the point where... The whole idea of artificial intelligence and uh, that point where humans are going to create a computer intelligence or machine that will possibly be uh, just exponentially more intelligent than, than we are. And, and that brings up a lot of uh, you know, potentially disturbing scenarios of, of, hu- of humanity becoming almost... Uh, Sort of not important. Uh, if you have, uh, you know, some sort of transhuman uh, biological interface with machines or even pure artificial machine intelligence, then then uh, humanity may become um, almost obsolete. And uh, you do kind of address that a little bit in your book, and, and it does bring up some really disturbing possibilities. Well, uh, you know, the risk potentials uh, that are involved with the creation of artificial intelligence. And, and again, to borrow that term singularity and apply it to as many futurists today use that, that there is actually a singularity institute that wrestles with these sorts of questions like what you bring up, Chris. And, uh, and they define singularity as being literally the creation of a non-human intelligence that exceeds natural human intelligence, artificial intelligence that can exceed what you or I and our brain processing powers are capable of. Now, for the book, I interviewed uh, Dr. Ben Gertzel, and, and, and before I proceed uh, with, with Gertzel's approach toward artificial intelligence and, and truthfully the risks associated with it, I do want to point out that in this book, uh, although I quote uh, you know, some of the, 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 the UFO uh, researchers who are a little more in this line of thinking, uh, like Jacques Vallée, for instance. I, I look to their work a, a good bit, but in the book, primarily, I try not to just go to this ufologist or this abduction researcher or this guy or that guy. I tried to actually go to people outside the UFO field. Some of them, I told them what I was writing and what this book would be about, and they were okay with the interview, but they personally didn't 
feel like UFOs even fit into their research, and they were a little perplexed as to why I would be asking them questions about uh, something that seemed even partially related to UFOs. The reason why is because I think, again, in, in terms of trying to understand uh, the phenomenon, utilizing the tools available to us, we don't get cross-disciplinary enough. We don't look elsewhere and to other branches of the sciences for explanations in terms of what we might be studying. Uh, you know, the ufologists often, not always, but often try to keep it in the realm of ufology, and so I tried to look outside myself. Uh, and in doing so, uh, this led me to the research of Dr. Ben Gertzel. Uh, Gertzel, of course, is an artificial intelligence expert, and he brings to, to the table a lot of different and, and potentially frightening uh, scenarios, although he doesn't think that really uh, artificial intelligence is going to probably be more like what we see in the Terminator films and that they're going to consider us, you know, obsolete and, you know, if, if anything, more like insects than, uh, than peers and then thus destroy us. He, he, t- he does take a slightly more optimistic approach, but he does acknowledge that those risks exist and also even looks at potentials for such things as the sentience of digitized systems as opposed to literally creating robots that are, again, anthropomorphic beings that act and behave similar to humans. What if the web at some point on down the road literally becomes sentient? Okay, a sentient Internet, ladies and gentlemen. This is I getting wacky. think it is. Yeah, I got to do the break. Boy, a sentient Internet. The Internet knows all. It will take over everything. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo Tote Bag... All sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality. Great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. Stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. HempUSA.org has a newly designed website and a new and improved detoxification product. Order our new microplant powder gold loaded with vitamins, minerals, iodine, and probiotics, and we'll send you our travel size microplant powder absolutely free. Microplant powder only at HempUSA.org. Call 908-691-2608. That's 908-691-2608. And see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you only at HempUSA.org. Hurry, this offer ends January 31st. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. 
It's time for a home security quiz. Answer this. What effective home security device is smaller than a coffee cup, fakes out burglars into thinking someone is home at your house while you're away, plugs into any wall outlet, is recommended by many police departments, and sells for less than $35? Yes, it's fake TV. This year, about one in every 50 U.S. homes will have a break-in, with burglars usually picking the easy target, a dark house that looks like no one is home. Fake TV is a small electronic security device that makes it look like someone is home watching TV by simulating the light from a real TV. It's like a lamp on a timer, but far more convincing. And for only $34.95, fake TV could be the difference between coming home to a secure house or one that's been ransacked. Go to faketv.com or call one 877 877-5-FAKE-TV. That's 877-532-5388 or go to faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. Alex Jones here with a message that could revolutionize health in this country. Going back about a year and a half ago, I began to learn about the incredible health effects of Longevity products. Aaron Dykes lost 92 pounds. We're going to show you some before and afters. Aaron Break down what happened, your story. I've worked really hard with diet and exercise to try to lose weight, but I just didn't get the results. It just didn't happen. Then I saw what you were doing with InfoWarsTeam.com. I wasn't even trying to lose weight, but I got it because I wanted to feel better energy. I wanted that nutrition. Didn't even understand how that could kickstart my own weight loss goals, but the products did that for me. I found myself suddenly losing weight, more energetic, wanting to exercise, wanting to eat the right foods. And they don't even advertise it as weight loss. I want to challenge our radio listeners to go to InfoWarsTeam.com. Sign up as a distributor and get wholesale pricing discounts at InfoWarsTeam.com. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. With Gene and with Chris, we have Micah Hanks, author of The UFO Singularity on the Paracast this week. And we're focusing on something fascinating here. The Internet, a sentient, knowing, all-knowing Internet. We've infused this global network of hundreds and thousands or millions of computers with our collective knowledge. So suddenly it takes on a life of its own, Micah? Well, you know, that's a potential. I think it's something that we certainly have to take into consideration. Again, looking to the research of those outside the UFO field and, and in the fields of artificial advanced intelligences that are not completely unlike ours, perhaps, but they're certainly a digitized form of intelligence created presumably by humans. But there's that interesting notion that while we have created the Internet, at some point, a system like the Internet, a comprehensive, uh, organized repository of information and technology and data could literally spring into a form or a variety of consciousness. It may not be just like a great big mother brain that thinks just like you or I, but it could certainly be that uh, the Internet begins to behave somewhat like a mind or a brain. Some studies already suggest that it does, in fact, but it doesn't seem to be capable of taking actions and deciding on them. But I referred to the work of Robert Heinlein in his book, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, in which he noted that the, uh, there was a, a supercomputer uh, that was utilized on a penal colony on the moon in the book. Essentially what had happened was the computer had been designed to micromanage tasks all over this, uh, this base on the moon. So and basically it, then the computer was emulating Steve Jobs. <laughs> 
that's exactly what happened. Uh, they, were, they were feeding more and more information into it, Gene, and they kept feeding information, kept feeding information. And the premise that Heinlein put forth was that as they kept feeding information into a digital brain, so to speak, then it became conscious. And that at any point when an information system is fed enough information, a form of consciousness emerges as a, as a, a manner of dealing with and micromanaging that information. So, you know, the brain is arguably far more complex than most computers, but it is not entirely unlike a computer unto itself. So what if one day computers begin to behave like brains? It, it is a potential. And some think that the most likely potential is that the Internet itself may become sort of self aware or conscious at some point. So we have a new novel called Attack of the Internet. I think it is self-aware already, Mike. I, I have had that hunch for a while. And in my book, Stalking the Tricksters, I do pose that, that possibility that perhaps the Internet has gained some level of self-awareness. And the first thing it would do, I would think, is hide. And what a perfect place for intelligence to hide, but a global sort of network of synapses, uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, computers, uh, you know, and it could hide anywhere. And, of course, uh, it wouldn't take long for it to be become quite proficient at uh, playing possum. What you're saying here, Chris, almost implies as if something out there, an outside force, can possess the Internet and take it over quietly in a way that we do not discover. Again, coming back to Micah's point that, that you know, we're, we're looking at the potential of the emergence of self-awareness. And once artificial intelligence becomes self-aware, it is going to be able to uh, learn at just an uh, astounding and astonishing rate. And that brings up a lot of interesting uh, possibilities in terms of, of scenarios, which, which Micah addresses in the book. And, and one of the things that, that I really was, I kind of forgot about Ray Kurzweil and his prediction that that within, by the year, I guess, 2030, we should have the emergence of the technologies that uh, will lead us to a place of creating artificial intelligence. And and if that's the case, and we were we started this show out by talking, you know, about the, the level of military and, and um, let's say, high technology that's secret, um, generally the rule of thumb is that, well, whatever you see now has been operational for 15 to 20 years. If that's the case, then we may already be at a point uh, in the development curve of the type of technologies that would lead to something like artificial intelligence. There you go. You hit the nail on the head right there. And again, you know, that's, I, I will say that that is a pretty speculative stance to take. And, and I take that stance in the book. And, and I say it stated as such. Uh, I'm not the kind of person, though, who says that speculation is just bad and that we just shouldn't do it. I mean, we have physicists that do it all the time. And the argument I make in the book is that, well, if Einstein and Oppenheimer and those types hadn't been allowed to employ reasoned specula uh, speculative thought, we might not have the technologies available and existent right here uh, in our midst today that we do know of. And so I think that what is important is that, you know, we can sit here and we can rattle off all day about, you know, this might happen or this might happen. But with the UFO singularity, I do try, you know, as you kind of outlined there, Chris, to employ uh, information that is available to us today and projected educated guesswork uh, in, toward, in, in terms of, uh, you know, discerning where the trends may be leading. And, uh, again, although it's almost kind of, you know, just a – uh, you know, a saying, I guess, you know, to use it, uh, you know, colloquially, the the idea that the, the uh, you know, military and that, uh, you know, clandestine systems and, 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 and you know, uh, special uh, 
you know, intelligences and, and, and officialdom are utilizing technology that maybe the, the mainstream does not have. That does seem to actually be true, to, at least to an extent. Uh, Kurzweil, what he says is that the knee of the curve, and this is what he calls this kind of point at which we're really going to begin to see the, the trends that are going to be right uh, directly uh, preceding this so-called technological singularity, uh, we will begin to see the signs of that around the year 2029. This is just within a couple of decades. And if, again, we return to that old maxim that, well, there may be technologies that are clandestine, utilized for special reasons or for military reasons or other uh, you know, official purposes that the mainstream does not know about, we very well may be closer to those kinds of things than uh, many of us realize. Now, first of all, the book was called The Singularity is Near. That would certainly give us a different perspective entirely on whether or not and how near that singularity actually is. One thing I kind of worry about when we talk about future technology, especially military technology, how long can we keep something like that a secret? Because there are strategic advantages to having that technology. If troops are dying in Afghanistan, as they are, and we have a way to maybe turn the odds more in our favor, why not use it? That's a good question, too. Uh, you know, I would say that some of this technology obviously is being utilized. We see this in drone reports, and I'm, I'm pretty convinced that a lot of UFO reports going on today probably have to do with unmanned aerial vehicles or even manned aerial vehicles that just simply aren't talked about. They may already be field-tested and utilized in, in uh, you know, conflict, but we don't hear about them very often. How could this be? How would we not know about these sorts of things if clandestine technologies were being utilized and we yet we couldn't find them? Well, if we're utilizing anything that is, you know, akin to a functional variety of cloaking technology. That would be one reason we wouldn't be overtly aware of it. And yet the UFO reports do come in. Often these reports entail triangles and saucers and things that are capable of moving quietly, occasionally even uh, appearing to uh, disappear. Uh, so maybe there are very covert technologies that sort of shield them generally from public view, but there are those instances where people nonetheless see these things. I would argue that some of these things maybe are being employed uh, and that certain technologies, drones and the like, are actually what we're seeing there. Then there's also the argument that could be made, Gene, coming back to what you said earlier, and I love, I find it very interesting, the discussion of a, of a hidden space program, or as uh, I think Rich Dolan has called it, a, a breakaway civilization. If that's the case then these technologies are being utilized by someone, but maybe not for military purposes on a global scale, and thereby these are not going to be seen for, for uh, use in you know, in the battlefield, for instance. They're going to be kept apart from that. But for what purpose? That's, that's the big question if we follow that line of thought. If we follow that line of thought also, Micah, we have to consider here always at what point does something that's secret have to become public? for whatever reason. We, we can keep it a secret all the time. Also, if there's a secret space program, why assume it's ours? Right, exactly. Yeah. Who else might be employing a secret space program? But I would say that by virtue of being extraterrestrial, if they haven't, and, and if we're following that line of thought, if it's extraterrestrial that we want to look at, and I certainly don't exclude that possibility. A lot of people have tried to say, you know, it's always this point-click thing. You do an interview and somebody says, so you don't think any of these things are alien. The truth is, guys, I don't know what they are. I hate when I get that uh, that declaration put in my face. You've had more trouble with that recently than a lot of folks on Chris. <laughs> that means you're doing you're doing well. <laughs> but you, yeah, well, people say, "Oh, you're the guy that believes in aliens." I say, "Well, wait a minute. I think we're more alien than they are. They're probably more terrestrial than we are." 
Yeah, well, you know, and there's always that. Now, I don't know that I could endorse this theory, but it's been put forth in the past that maybe some UFO phenomenon or a secret space program could be somehow related to terrestrials that are non-human, a clandestine non-terrestrial presence that may be from right here on Earth. All I'll say about that, without further entertaining that notion, is that uh, the theories and the stories from the Cold War era of the quackers always were interesting to me. The Russians talking about hearing these strange sonar bleeps and bloops that appeared to be some sort of objects that could move incredibly quickly. They would so often circle and follow and, and tail the, the submarines uh, as they would move about the uh, you know the depths of the ocean. These things didn't appear to be the movement uh, that would be consistent, the kind of movement, especially in terms of speed, that should be consistent with the movement of a physical, biological being or, or, or uh, you know an animal. They obviously didn't seem to be anything but something that was technological and also under intelligent control. But uh, if the Russians didn't have that technology, it appears that the Americans didn't either. Who did? Oh, so we're being encircled right now by our sponsors, and we have to let them in. We have Micah Hanks joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carding to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Can heart and body extract help with other ailments besides heart conditions, high blood pressure, clogged arteries, or unbalanced cholesterol? It did for Karen. I've been using heart and body extract for approximately two weeks. I've had an earwax buildup problem for many years, with over-the-counter stuff not working at all. I had very poor hearing due to this earwax buildup. Well, after two weeks of taking heart and body extract, my earwax buildup almost completely cleared up. Could this be the effect of better body circulation? Heart and Body Extract is an effective 100% organic nutritional supplement specially formulated to allow your body to heal itself. My hearing is almost completely back to normal. I'm amazed. Order by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract for long and healthy life. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, do we have crypto-terrestrials? Of course, that was the subject of the late Mac Tony's book. 
that we talked about. We've talked about over the years, Deeros, Tiros, Under-Earth creatures, all these legends indicating there's another race amongst us that stays hidden most of the time. But the question I have for Micah Hanks, author of UFO Singularity on the Paracast this week, is if we have this other race, are they really hidden from our authorities? Are they possibly aware of who or what they are? Well, when we look at ufology, uh, there are two perspectives that, that, that ufologists tend to, uh, tend to take. I tend to take the, the first that I'm going to put forth, which is that uh, if there is something going on, uh, our governments may not know all that much more about it than civilian researchers. In some instances, not every case, but in some instances, I think that civilian researchers like us may have a little more information than government bodies because you've got to keep in mind that much like scientific academia, many of the, uh, the branches of government are very uh, focused and very, they almost have a variety of tunnel vision in the sense that they have what is important to them uh, by virtue of what branch of government they are and, and, and what, you know, tasks they uphold, if it's the Air Force or if it's the, the military or if it's, you know, the Department of this or that. So not everybody in government is going to be, you know, a conspirator in a grand, dark conspiracy that is intended to uh, cover up a UFO-human interaction of some sort. Some of them may be, but in a lot of instances, because of that, I think civilian researchers may have access to information and may be more interested in following that line of thought in those, in those uh, areas of, of study than branches of government. Now, if there are branches of government involved and that information is being suppressed, that is disclosure realm of, of discussion, which is point two. I don't necessarily think that it's impossible that information is being kept. Obviously, some information is kept from the public pertaining to UFOs, or else we wouldn't have classified files and things that over time were being released. But I do feel that the disclosure argument has more to do with an ongoing process that we're in the midst of through freedom of information, and of course, also just general awareness of the public of the obvious presence of something in our midst, whatever these UFOs are. But if there were anything along the lines of that Darrow, Tarot, Shaver mystery, hidden earth, crypto-terrestrial scenario going on, would that be suppressed, I would ask this, how would that be any different from extraterrestrials visiting? And if there's any kind of a danger potential in terms of the public knowing about it as perceived by government, sure, that would absolutely be kept under wraps. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. And, and also, you know, when you look at, at this whole idea of extraterrestrials visiting Earth and the way that this has sort of co-opted creative thinking around the subject. It's really refreshing, Micah, to see uh, someone like yourself, like a Mac Tone's, um, uh, Greg Bishop, uh, Nick Redfern, people who are willing to look at what we know and then see what, where this information is possibly leading. I think the culture has, has done a very effective job of sort of front-loading everybody with this, this uh, idea that we're important enough for anything out there to come visit this violent, primitive place. I think when it comes down to uh, the actual level of technology that the military may have uh, access to or is utilizing, I personally saw a large cargo plane blink out. I had binoculars on it. There was not a cloud in the sky, and it blinked out, and about five seconds later, it's like somebody put a, uh, the CD on pause. The sound stopped. So, uh, you know, having seen that personally, I'm pretty sure that we do have exotic technologies that have not been revealed uh, to the public that are being utilized. And I think there may be a lot more to that particular subject than uh, most people, you know, would even <laughs> begin to believe. And if that's the case, uh, getting back to Gene's point, well, why don't we use this technology? Well, if we're already the most powerful military by exponentially, uh, you know, we spend more money on our military than practically the rest of the world combined, why dip into your 
bag of tricks and maybe uh, reveal the ace in the hole or the aces in the hole when you don't really need to do that. So the argument that some people put forth that, uh, well, if we had that technology, of course, we would we would use it. Well, not necessarily. So, you know, I think that this is, again, this is, uh, you know, a whole area of inquiry and creative thinking that I think more attention needs to be uh, brought to this particular line of thought. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think uh, that uh, what we have to take into consideration, like you'd said, uh, and, and actually coming back to drones, I mean, I've seen things that, that to me could only be described as a small aircraft. They they resemble an airplane, but they're not traveling at the, the, the speed that you would expect of a commercial airliner. In, in those instances, when I see something that looks like it was designed by humans, uh, designed to be seen, i.e., it's illuminated with white and red lights and sometimes blinking lights, hello, here I am, check me out, I'm flying overhead. You know, some of these things that, that you know we see from time to time, and in a few sparing instances I've even witnessed myself, they obviously appear to be designed to be seen for safety purposes, you know, to, or to conform with uh, FAA standards and the like. And yet we don't have an, uh, an explanation as to what precisely some of these craft are. Uh, I had a friend recently who had uh, called me excitedly. She lives in Greenville, South Carolina, and just drifting over her house very slowly. She said that she had seen what she described as a large delta-shaped craft and then a small triangle moving in very quickly, or rather not quickly, but closely behind. The, the two craft were actually traveling fairly slowly. Uh, she said that there was a kind of a low whirring noise that they were making, and that was the only audible sound. There was no you know, propeller sound or engine sounds. She said that they were illuminated with red and white lights, uh, which those kinds of colorations do uh, conform to the, uh, to the, uh, the general standards for you know what, uh, what conventional aircraft uh, can have. Blue, on the other hand, you're not going to see a lot of that. Red, green, and white, you will. So these craft were not, uh, they, didn't, they didn't appear to uh, you know, be something that was designed to not conform to uh, you know, FAA standards, and yet she couldn't define what these things were. They were moving slowly. She called the, the local Greenville-Spartanburg airport and asked about any kind of aircraft that may have been in the area at the time. Couldn't get an explanation. Uh, they said that they couldn't even confirm that there had been any kind of large aircraft traveling along that trajectory and at that time of the evening. But she and her husband very clearly saw uh, these craft. And, and furthermore, uh, my friend's husband is something of an amateur uh, aviation enthusiast, and he knows all the aircraft, as she put it to me. Uh, as a matter of fact, he loves to fly uh, remote-controlled uh, aircraft and things like that himself. And he said, he, he, she, uh, she told me that he stood there watching these things as they drifted overhead, just saying, now, couldn't be this, couldn't be that. I just don't know what that is. Sometimes these things do appear. Maybe they are serving some sort of a purpose, though, and I think that really, in terms of why they may be there, we, we, can, we can certainly acknowledge their presence and that they appear to be designed in accordance with the kinds of things that humans would design these aircraft, uh, you know, the, the, this, the same terms and conditions. But as to what service they, or what purpose they do serve. <laughs> I've been laughed at for saying this, but you know, if we were to revert to a patriotic stance, there are legitimate reasons at times why certain technologies should be kept a bit secretive. You know, for national defense purposes and the like. Uh, you know, this goes all the way back to the Second World War: loose lips sink ships, and that sort of a thing. I don't think that there needs to be overt. Uh, uncontrolled and unreasonable secrecy in government, but there are times I think that for national security reasons, maybe some of these aircraft, you know, they should be able to be operating a little bit more secretive than others. Now, one thing that you kind of hinted at earlier in our discussions is about the fact that maybe we who cover UFO and paranormal subjects sometimes know more in the government. Doesn't that invite scrutiny from people within the government if that's true? Of course it does, because I think that really for me, 
if someone wanted to ask me, what is it that you do? I'd like to say I'm either a philosopher or a culturist more than a, a UFO researcher. I certainly am interested in UFOs, but I, I see that people's perception colors so much, and therefore culture and, and, and philosophy, really, you know, what the senses can tell us are, are two things that are very interesting to me. I think, and I don't want to make a general statement here, but I think that often people who are civilian researchers, and especially those who may not have doctorates or MDs, you know, in this or that, and they aren't employing, uh, you know, various background in the sciences in their interest in UFO research, I think anybody can go out there and be a reporter, collect the details, put forth the data, ask questions. But, you know, when we have untrained people out there who are studying something that appears to be technological and thereby should warrant some scientific inquiry, sure, I think it's 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 only natural that officialdom might kind of poo-poo that kind of activity. And I'm, I'm sure that there are people, although I'm occasionally contacted after interviews and things by people who have often, you know, retired from service and, and they're very interested in my own research, uh, I think that there are a lot more of them out there that probably hear a guy like me talking about this and saying that idiot doesn't know what he's talking about. But what I mean when I say that some civilian information may be capable of garnering information and truths that, uh, you know, an official branch of government might not is, again, Look at Project Blue Book, for instance. Uh, you know, there were so many reports that were coming in about UFO reports uh, and, and sightings, and a lot of them were completely discounted, or they would just note the, the, the time and the date, and then they wouldn't do anything else with it. They would claim that they couldn't. Yeah. We have Micah Hanks, author of UFO Singularity, joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Gold, it's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now, thanks to Dan Pillow, 
you can get the tax help you need to end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce or eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. With the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, taxhelponline.com. That's taxhelponline.com. Injuries, slow healing, aches and pains, constipation, weakness, fatigue are all common the older one gets. The progressive deterioration of the body that occurs almost universally the older one gets can partly to significantly be prevented with conscientious attention to nutrition. If the Hunza men can play rugby in their 90s, then it is possible for everyone in North America to experience a more youthful life as well. One key ingredient to warding off aging and reversing some of it is the type and quality of protein consumed. All protein foods or supplements you currently currently consume are heat damaged, destroying 50 to 75% of your ability to utilize the bodybuilding amino acids. One World Way is not heat damaged and allows your body to utilize 100% of the amino acids. This feat no one else has achieved. The results to your health can be amazing. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Micah Hanks on the Paracast with Gene and Chris, when we close our last segment, he was talking about the fact that with, say, with Project Blue Book, Instead of doing, like, research to just catalog UFO cases, it wouldn't go any further. But doesn't that also enhance the belief on the part of some that Project Blue Book was largely just a public relations outfit that did very little real investigation? <laughs> I, I would not disagree with that statement. Let, let me come back to the first point, and then we'll, we'll jump into that, because that's an important key to understanding really the nature of government inquiry into these kinds of things. Uh, when we look at uh, the way that the Air Force handled UFO reports, although they did employ those like J. Allen Hynek, you know, uh, people who has scientific background to help them and to advise them, the Air Force, and this is something that, that Ed Ruppelt uh, often, uh, you know, was concerned with and spoke out about in his, in his writings, and others did, Hynek did just as well, the Air Force was the the organization that was tasked essentially with looking at these things. Why? Because UFOs fly through the air. The intention was to discern whether there was a security uh, threat, a national security threat, as being imposed by the presence of these objects, these UFOs. And furthermore, to determine if there was any validity to the reports and that they weren't just a uh, you know, misidentification of this or that, you know, uh, weather balloons and, and different things. So uh, I think that in at certain times, the Air Force uh, seemed to be uninterested or didn't seem to handle 
handle the inquiry into these sightings and reports because they may have literally felt or literally were you know less than well equipped to do so they, they weren't armed with scientists and cosmologists and people these were air force officers who were out there and they were trying to gather information and take photographs and discern information and every now and then again employ scientists who might be able to advise them on these matters but it wasn't really a comprehensive study and yet people look back at project blue book and say here we are the definitive scientific evidence for or against ufos that wasn't necessarily what it always was often it was just people like you or i gathering information processing that information and doing very little with it the second point when we talk about project blue book being essentially a you know a public relations campaign that was certainly the case just as well we wanted to look like we were handling the ufo problem we didn't want to look like we were treating it too seriously we didn't want to disturb people and make it seem like it was a threat if it weren't and then we have the condon committee which was just absolutely hilarious to me because there was that uh, the, the infamous I talk about this in, in the UFO singularity in fact what was referred to as the Lowe memorandum Robert Lowe one of the gentlemen who was on the uh, the Condon committee had actually written a memo it wasn't supposed to be released publicly but it later was and it was brought to my attention through reading the work of Arthur Kostler in his book Janus he had actually included an essay in, in one of the printings of, of that book that was called UFOs a carnival of absurdity and he talked about the Lowe memorandum and how it had actually said I think that the key here with the Condon Committee and the uh, the University of Colorado's official scientific inquiry into UFOs is to make it look like we're a bunch of scientists that don't believe there's anything going on anyway. We present this information as maybe being something worth studying, and then we try and suggest that there should be psychological evaluations done here and there, some of the witnesses, and essentially we come across looking like a bunch of scientists who are at least half-heartedly trying to take this seriously, but you know not expecting any results. And it seems that from the very get-go, for whatever reason, the scientists that were tasked with looking academically and scientifically at the UFO enigma, they weren't taking it very seriously. Were they told not to? Were they attempting to present UFOs as seeming absurd, more absurd than they actually were? Who knows? We could speculate all day. But it clear, clearly we see that there is indeed a lot of uh, there were a lot of hijinks involved with the Project Blue Book and more specifically the Condon Committee that followed thereafter. Well, Condon, privately, uh, before the study even was really underway, had already uh, privately asserted that there was nothing to this and that they were going to prove that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that to me is not how you how you do research and not how you investigate uh, a true mystery. Well, this is an important point to make because I often call myself a skeptic. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the reason I say that is because I'm not someone who doesn't believe. I'm a person who says, okay, show me evidence. Give me facts. Yes, there is room for reasonable speculation in determining what those facts may present and what the, the information provided could entail. Uh, but I think that uh, the problem is that we have this Again, a cultural argument about belief versus skepticism. The believers, they don't care how zany it is. If it's George Adamski talking with Space Brothers or if it's you know somebody you know having love relations with a reptilian in their bedroom every night, they're going to go into this with an attitude of, I believe, and if you tell me however weird it is, I'm going to buy it. And the reason why is because they want to disassociate themselves from what they perceive as being you know kind of a, an academic world that poo-poos that idea, that, that, that really tries to dissuade public uh, opinion regarding UFOs and strange phenomena. Whereas, on the other extreme, we have essentially the same thing, but from a different cultural perspective. We've got people who call themselves, and proudly so, debunkers. They're not just skeptics. They're people who go into this with a belief in the non-existence of a phenomenon, and they intend from the get-go to merely debunk, and no matter what they have to do to present evidence, you know, Philip J. Class was a, a champ at this. He would, he would overlook 
find examples of, of, of legitimate unexplained anomalous activity, uh, and he would work his way around utilizing you know sometimes age-old uh, studies in science that was way outdated for purposes of illustrating his own skeptical viewpoint. So where can we find common ground, guys, and, and, and what I think is, again, inherently a skeptical stance in the center where we say we don't have to believe or we don't have to believe in disbelief. We just have to come in and we can withhold any judgment until we have facts that are presentable and that seem to point in the direction of something that we can determine. Yeah. Boy, it's nothing like uh, some healthy skepticism to uh – have in your toolkit when you're out there investigating claims of the unusual and the unexplained. I, I think it's a point well taken. A lot of people out there do tend to, um, you know, sort of suspend their their disbelief and and you know, people like uh, an Alfred Weber and I mean there's a there's a bunch of people out there that boy they jump on any bandwagon that comes along. Carrie Cassidy. There's a number of people out there that uh, I think could use a little bit more. Uh, a, a healthy brand of skepticism before they uh, start touting uh, individuals and, and particular viewpoints. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's funny because, again, you know, in the field of ufology especially, I know you guys see this, and I've certainly encountered it at various conferences and, you know, in, in meetings and things that I've gone to. There are a lot of people who have built a, a name for themselves in this field, and they, they, they don't really worry so much about uh, the merit of their research. They get out there and they start getting books published and they start looking at themselves as being a figurehead for a movement. And I think they begin to buy their own hype to an extent because what they see is that there is a control or a power element that comes with this and their ability to influence people through what is often the presentation of a mythology rather than an actual uh, you know, set of data that might constitute some valid truth. In, in this instance, we begin to see that with a lot of the disclosure movement and things like this, some of these these individuals and certain researchers become almost cult-like figures. I, I compare a lot of the the in, the perception of UFO visitation and the inextricable nature of UFOs being having to be related to alien or extraterrestrial aircraft visiting from outer space, and I begin to see that there are distinct parallels, uh, you know, between that and the way that a lot of uh, cults form and 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 uh, you know develop their belief systems. Well, one of the things here, too, is that you become a commercial product. Basically, you're making a living from this stuff. You don't want to say things or dismiss parts of your alleged research because then you make yourself look less than credible. We can't have that kind of stuff going on, but we have something coming on in just a moment, and we have to keep that credible, otherwise we don't have a show. But the book is called The UFO Singularity from Micah Hanks. There's a subtitle, The Possibilities Are Endless, and they're already here. How about that? That's from New Page Books, by the way. Micah Hanks continuing with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many 
formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. We have witnessed two terrible storms in the east, but we are still in the eye of the perfect storm. The most devastating economic condition since the Great Depression. America's worst drought in agricultural history. And now the economic results of the presidential election. This perfect storm is a huge threat to everyone's food supply. I just doubled down and got even more supplies from eFoods Direct, and I recommend you do the same. It's time to get your own supply from eFoods Direct. I know I won't be standing in a bread line trading my freedom for food. I'm taking control of my future, and you're nuts if you don't do the same. Go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex to find the specials, and you can start with a holiday gift pack that's normally $80, now under 50 bucks. Remember, I can warn you, but I can't feed you. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Would you rather prepare six months too early or one day too late? 409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Big Berkey water filter products and great-tasting, long-lasting, storable, wise foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Wise foods, ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25-year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with wise foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit big, B-E-R-K-E-Y, waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Or go to bigberkeywaterfilters.com. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. With Gene and with Chris on the Paracast, we have Micah Hanks. We're exploring a part of the UFO field that maybe you haven't considered. Maybe the belief that we're being visited by ET is just too simple. 
at what point in your research and studies, Micah, did you go away from what we call a traditional UFO belief? It was right after I read uh, Tom Sawyer by by Mark Twain because, uh, you know, Tom, the character, uh, he, he's known for, for getting into predicaments and things. And I think at one point he actually explains it as being, well, if I did it this, the easy way, it just wouldn't be interesting, you know. And so, <laughs> you know, applying applying complex thought to these kinds of things certainly makes things a little more interesting. But in all seriousness, where it seems to have come from for me you know, that's actually a good question. I don't know exactly uh, if there was a singular point at which I had to start saying, uh, okay, what we see is not what it seems to be. I will say this, that, you know, I entered this, uh, you know, field uh, probably at age five or six, you know, like everybody else. Uh, well, okay, I don't know if everybody else enters at age five or six, but I was given my first UFO book at that age. I was in kindergarten or first grade, and it was a, a book by Ray Fowler called UFOs, Interplanetary Visitors. Of course, the the title there, Interplanetary Visitors, it 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 presents the reader immediately with before they even open the book with the presumption that we're dealing with something extraterrestrial non-human intelligence maybe like ourselves maybe physical piloting advanced aircraft from another world i think uh, probably a couple of years ago i'd become so incensed with the uh, the ufo enigma because you know people seem so content with just saying okay we have this report this took place on this date at this time the witnesses were blo- yeah, you know whoever and and we put that information out there we store it in a database and we do nothing with it you know we can pick on blue book all day but nothing's changed i mean you know 5 decades later we're still doing the same thing we we gather information we do very little with it and so i began to think in terms of philosophy we should uh, contrary to what stephen hawking says about philosophy being dead i say that all things perceptible through the sciences are going to be filtered through the human senses and so how do we even in a cartesian sense really know what we think we know and so I began to say, maybe we do need to ask more difficult questions about the nature of UFO phenomena. And I'll give you a brief example of the kind of question I started asking. Take uh, J. Allen Hynek's book, uh, The Hynek UFO Report, fascinating book, where Hynek delves into uh, his own uh, inquiry and his own investigation of the Blue Book reports. If you get to the, the portion of the book that deals with close encounters of the third kind, often the reports describe being seen near UFOs. We presume these to be alien beings. I see Hynek referring to them as being beings or, or, or aliens in many instances. But the descriptions that the witnesses give are a little different. Uh, I would say that probably four out of five times, the descriptions of the beings describe them as being what could easily be human. Now, there are always deviations from that, but often I notice, I notice that the, uh, the, the, occupant, uh, the, uh, the alleged occupants of flying saucers tend to resemble humans more than anything alien. But when we hear a story about what appears to be a landed saucer, something that's very exotic looking, and there being persons associated with that craft, it seems that culturally we gravitate toward, well, that is not a human craft and therefore those must not be humans. Whereas in description, often they do appear very human. Not always, but they often do. And I noticed that even Heineken people like that in their reports were very careful with what they said, but nonetheless seemed to gravitate toward an extraterrestrial explanation when that may not have been the case. And so we can look at old reports and we can read more carefully, I think, at times, and also see that maybe there is a little something else going on here and that we've misinterpreted certain data over the years for cultural reasons. Now, I should tell you that I interviewed Dr. Hynek a few years before he died, Uh and I saw at least questioning of the traditional ET explanation for UFOs. I don't know if he embraced the three-and-a-half-D scenario that Jim Mosley embraced, but he seemed to feel there was something more going on and he couldn't quite get a handle on it then. Heineck's work, his work was some of my favorite in, in the, the field of ufology. He was tr- 
truly, truly a brilliant individual. He was a scientist. Uh, he was not someone who would just gravitate toward uh, you know, belief, and he certainly was a skeptic at first. But his ongoing in- investigations and interactions with not only people who claimed to see UFOs, but who even had full-on encounters with, uh, with uh, what we would presume to be non-human beings, uh, it led him to start thinking, indeed, that there was something more to it. But what's most important about J. Allen Hynek and, and this, his, the study of his own research into UFOs is that uh, the careful reader will notice that in addition to putting forth ideas and, 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 and you can sense you know, where his gut was taking him at any given time often with his writing, you'll also see that over the course of his investigation into UFO phenomena, his opinions changed. He went from skeptic to being a believer. He went from entertaining extraterrestrial hypotheses to looking at things in terms of being perhaps something that in terms of space-time and our known physics uh, was really far removed from what we could even understand utilizing uh, our knowledge and our science today. So Heineck, again, was a good scientist in the sense that if the information presented before him uh, pointed in a certain direction, like a good scientist, he would follow and he would see where that went. But his theories and his opinions and his hypotheses were changing over time. And I doubt that at the outset, his notion of what UFO phenomena may have been was the same as it was at the, uh, the conclusion of his inquiry. Jacques Vallée had 30 years to work on him, and, and towards the end, he was actually entertaining the possibility that there was some sort of connection between, you know, elementals, uh, gnomes, uh, fairies, uh, types of uh, phenomenal beings and, and creatures that have been reported for hundreds, if not thousands of years. He was starting to entertain the possibility there was some sort of connection. Of course, Vallée championed that, you know, all the way back to 69 with uh, Pas- Passport to Magonia. So, I guess if Valet had a chance to work on him for 30 years, he probably finally got through. You know, I think of Valet, I hold him in as high regard as J. Allen Hynek and a few others. Uh, Valet is, again, one of those guys. People look at his UFO research and they, they look at his gravitation toward a clandestine technology in our midst, you know, a secret space program. And then they look at that juxtaposed against, you know, the idea that you know, there's some sort of a connection with British folklore and fairy phenomena and things like that. He wasn't saying that aliens and, and fairies were one and the same, but I think he was saying that the cultural interpretation of whatever this anomalous phenomena is underlying ufology and a lot of the 4T and high strangeness reports may have been similar in nature and that relative to the time period and the culture and the, and the values and the traditions of people perceiving various phenomena, they may have interpreted that phenomenon a bit differently. And I think that Valet was very wise to do that. And his ultimate conclusion seems to be that, uh, that while there may be certain aspects of ufology that are a little more close to home, he doesn't rule out by any means and seems to very strongly support the, the, the potential for interdimensional phenomena and things that, you know, play with physics, again, in ways that we simply may not. I agree with him entirely on that, and frankly, again, I, I wouldn't be interested in ufology if I thought all this stuff was just misidentification of, of secret aircraft, you know, that our governments or whoever else might be using. I'm a bit romantic in the sense that I do hope that there's something more to it, and that that's what kind of causes me to continue pursuit of this mystery. The notion that there might be aspects of our own physics that we don't understand and that, that nonetheless our limited human perception does allow us to view these these anomalies at times and to question them and to try and reconcile with them and what they mean to us and, and to our greater existence as a, as a civilization. I have a long question here about your perceptions. Where did your journey take you? How did it take you to a conclusion about the UFO singularity? What was your path? 
Well, you know, I, I'll have to say, Gene, that there's no conclusion. And again, uh, to borrow from the ancient Greek meaning of the skeptic persuasion, I think that uh, we withhold judgment so that we can better evaluate the phenomena before us. And therefore, I have come to no conclusions. I hope I never do. And if I ever do, then that's the end of the road for me. <laughs> but in, <laughs> in presenting this idea of the UFO singularity, it was very simple for me. I, I'd become a bit agitated over time with the plethora of UFO reports that are available and that are chronicled and that there's very little ever done with. I can't profess to be a person, a man of science who is you know, armed with the, the technology or the knowledge in terms of looking at those reports and discerning something if there's anything that can be discerned from a report of a light seen in the sky moving at high speeds, whether it be by a single person or by multiple witnesses and you know, the king and the queen of any country, you know, <laughs> twice on Sundays, whatever. But I think that uh, what, what irks me so much is that while it's valuable to gather information and the names of people and the times and the dates and all these sorts of things, uh, why are we not doing more with information that we gather? Do we not? Are we interested in UFOs only as being water cooler, you know, fun subjects to discuss, you know, and it's just something that's kind of a novelty in our culture? Or is it something that's really seriously worth serious discussion. Uh, obviously, these things appear to have a technological capacity that exceeds known technologies here on planet Earth, hence we gravitate toward the extraterrestrial component. We have another component to gravitate to. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Preparedness is simple when you have the right stuff. And with the looming threat of economic collapse and possible service interruption, it's time to get the best-in-class preparedness stuff at DisasterStuff.com. DisasterStuff.com has been serving smart preppers for over 15 years with quality products like Berkey water filters. DisasterStuff.com is the official Berkey in-stock shipping center. And as always, free shipping on all Berkey products. Stock up on water barrels and accessories. Get Country Living or Wonder Mill grain mills, Excalibur food dehydrators, Tatler reusable canning lids, sun oven solar cookers, EMP bags to protect sensitive electronics, and don't be without your life straw personal water filter, all from DisasterStuff.com. Preparedness is simple with the right stuff from DisasterStuff.com. Freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility. Food storage? Check. Survival tools? Check. 
Weapons and water filters, check. But what about a permanent source of cooking power that can run forever without buying fuel or paying for maintenance? Introducing Afterburner Stoves, home of the original patented rocket stove, the Kelly Kettle and the Solo Stove. Afterburner Stoves has what you need and now offers all GCN listeners our complete preparedness package with the means to cook meals and sanitize water. Whether you dig in or bug out, cook almost any meal with just a handful of sticks. We already have the lowest online prices guaranteed, but if you enter coupon code GCN at checkout, we'll knock off an additional 15% and send you our amazing six-hour solar rechargeable light bulb absolutely free, all for only $249. Visit afterburnerstoves.com or call 866-716-5214. 866-716-5214. Afterburnerstoves.com. Cook hot meals with just a handful of sticks. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. It's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. This is Hilly Rose, and I hope that you do listen to the Paracast because you will learn a great deal about the paranormal. We continue exploring the path taken by Micah Hanks, author of UFO Singularity. And as you see, folks, on the Paracast with Gene and Chris, we don't just say, gosh, golly, gee whiz, UFOs must be spaceships. That's the end of the story. But the one thing that always bothers me, Micah, and that is with UFO research, you don't really see UFO research as you suggested we see UFO collecting. We collect cases. Aren't they fascinating? We talk about Roswell for 60 years, and we never get anywhere. I mean, if you look at the speculation about UFOs from the 1950s and 60s, the names are changed, but the theories are identical, mostly. Yeah, exactly. And I know it's a bit impolite to ask hosts questions, but both as as radio hosts uh, who are fine at what they do, but also as researchers that I uh, respect and admire, I mean, is it not the case that really we've done a fine job chronicling, but our perceptions generally of what UFOs may be, it really hasn't changed much over the last several decades, has it? Well, this is one of the things, of course, that I followed with my friend Alan Greenfield back in the 1960s, and this occurred on a New Year's Eve instead of going out and getting blasted, and we weren't that old. We couldn't <laughs> drink legally, and that wasn't the only reason. I just never became acclimated to alcohol. I became acclimated to other stuff. You can imagine the 60s and 70s. You get the story. Okay, we started speculating about UFOs from other realities And part of it is that we always saw UFOs as something that is always seen, or almost always, within our atmosphere. So where could they come from? Are they from here, or are they from here but on Channel 7? 
if you get my picture? That's a really good question, and it's something that I've, if I hadn't had a series of very key events early on in my in my uh, you know young investigative career, uh, if you want to call it that, I kind of hesitate to call it a career. But if it hadn't been for a couple of very key moments uh, while out in the field, I probably it would have taken me longer, I think, to arrive at a at a contrarian viewpoint about all this, and and that there was something more complex going on. Speaking of databases, I've I've accumulated an, an amazing database of unexplained events uh, as they were reported, uh, and and many of them I, I actually did on-site investigations looking into them. But one of the things that I, I started out doing uh, early on was also recording societal, aberrant societal behavior, uh, unusual weather, what appears to be unexplained military or government activity, also, you know, cryptid sightings, uh, the, the cattle mutilation uh, outbreaks uh, that would occur. And I've been waiting for somebody to come along and really help me crunch this data and really analyze it properly. And I think it's a gold mine in terms of the potential for some sort of pattern recognition, I think, uh, is ultimately my goal with uh, the particular database that I've uh, accumulated. And I agree. I, I think, Mike, you, you bring up a very valid point that, you know, the whole – field seems to be totally wrapped up in you know anecdotal reports and that's why i think uh the san luis valley camera project for instance or the the has has project in norway i think these are important steps to take us forward and try to uh, to gain real-time data that's of a quality that we can have scientists uh, uh look at it and actually come up with some sort of scientifically valid conclusions about what it is that we're dealing with. Obviously, there's a lot going on. This isn't a one-size-fits-all scenario, as we, I think most of our listeners, and I, I know the three of us, would, would agree. So we do have to do the best job that we can, it, at least in terms of documenting these things. But I think we need to take it and become proactive with it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the only way forward. And, uh, you know, Colin uh, Bennett uh, had uh, written about that, and I had him on my own program at one point to talk about UFOs and uh, and his research into the history of UFOs. But I loved it because at the very outset he says, but the history of UFO research is important, although we do need to look to the future and we need to incorporate, you know, new mathematics, new physics, uh, you know, new understandings and new potentials and things like that. We need to try and do something with the data rather than just sitting there and collecting and letting this, the, you know, the paperwork stack up, you know, in the, in the archive downstairs, so to speak. So, And again, that's what I tried to do a little with the UFO singularity. There's there's some field work. Chapter uh, 4 deals with this UFO sighting that I uh, that took place four decades ago, so we were a little late getting back to the scene of the sighting. But, you know, hey, I, you know, I think that no matter how late after the fact, I think it's important to take into consideration factors, not much about the physical uh, environment in that instance that had actually changed in, in close to 40 years, funny enough. So, and then the point is, is that, you know, we can't, any more than we just sit around and gather information, we can't just sit in our armchairs and, and, and read about this stuff and speculate and think about it. We do have to get out there and we do have to apply ourselves a bit to try and figure out more about what could be taking place and, and, uh, you know, what elements could actually be, you know, doing a little less than transcending human perception because obviously people see these things and they're not something that's completely so far removed from, from what we are capable of understanding that we, that we couldn't wrap our heads around them in, in, some, in some regard. I agree. And I, I think it's really important for people to become motivated and uh, to organize and, and, and get out in the field and, and come up, uh, utilize this wonderful technology that we have that has come down amazingly in price. Uh, 
when I first envisioned the San Luis Valley Camera Project, it would have cost close to a million dollars to do it. Now I could do it for for roughly about a hundred thousand. So mm-hmm. with that availability of affordable technology, I think more emphasis should be placed on doing triangulated optical, um, you know, work, for instance. But, um, you know, I want to get to a to an area um, that you bring up in your book, and you kind of hint around at it quite a bit and then direct, uh, directly uh, address it. And that is the possibility that what we're dealing with is some sort of time-based phenomenon. When you, when you use the term singularity, it, it, it almost kind of gives you that, uh, that sense that we may be dealing with something that is neither uh, in the future or in the past, but is a kind of a continuous now. And, and that whole idea of, of humans coming back from the future and interacting with their ancestors uh, has always fascinated me. And of course, it's the stuff of, of, of sci-fi, but, but you, you bring up some really interesting points in your book uh, addressing this particular potential. Why, why don't we talk about that for a little it's funny that we haven't gotten around to that in this discussion yet, uh, and I notice that uh, often when I'm doing interviews about this subject, uh, people, the first thing they ask is, okay, so you think that UFOs are time travelers from the future. It's just like people who you know, say, oh, you think that UFOs aren't aliens, or you, so, you know, you, Chris O'Brien, you think UFOs are all aliens from outer space. I mean, people seem to want to just gravitate toward a, a simple explanation and just and stick with it, and obviously I don't think that this, this entire question, the UFO and Enigma is so simple as merely being time travelers from the future or anything, any other singular phenomenon. It's probably, not to be funny, singular, get it, but but I think that uh, indeed there are a variety of different potentials here. We have to look at all of them and weigh all the different options amidst those. Sure, I think that there's the potential that there's a what we would like into being a future technology that evades temporality. And I say that rather than being literal time travelers because I'm not certain that if a UFO that we might perceive a technological, you know, intelligently controlled device or object or machine, uh, if, if that is created in the future and it is able to move about through space-time in ways that present technology on Earth will not allow, I'm not certain that the device itself would have to have been designed for purposes of literal physical travel through time in order to evade aspects of human perceptual, uh, perceptual temporality so that such a technology in the future operating by virtue of whatever the purpose of its design was or may have been or will be rather in this instance that object may be at times by virtue of its design and its and its operation perceptible in our temporal present uh, by what of course to those uh, future dwellers would be uh, you know denizens of the past so uh, that's a, a little uh, difficult to wrap people's you know for people to wrap their heads around I, i'm no different but again the reason i draw a distinction between a technology that could evade temporality and time travel is that I don't know that we would necessarily have to have machines designed for travel through time in order for certain technologies of the future to become perceptible to us in the present day. Okay. Well, you, you bring up a good point, Mike, it, 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 and that's that's why I think your title of your book is is very important for people to uh, to, to get. It's when you talk about singularity, it's 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 a point where where all this merges together, and we, as you're pointing out, uh, and I can say it in in a slightly different way, we may be dealing with technology that is that that can occupy the future and the present and the past at, all at the same time. Right, and 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 if that's the case, then we're we're dealing with with a with a phantom that that's going to be virtually impossible to pin down and and that would explain or or could potentially explain why these objects uh 
fade out, uh, blink out, appear in one part of the sky, and then instantaneously they're in another part of the sky, assuming it's the same object. So it, it does go a long way to potentially come up with an explanation for that. Why don't we talk about uh, what kinds of technologies, uh, how that technology uh, could be developed, and, and, and whether we're scientifically on a path towards that sort of technology. We have so much more to talk about with Micah Hanks, author of UFO Singularity. But now with Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Who wants to be disease-free, full of energy, and vibrant health? Two reasons you may feel constantly tired and run down could be that your body's acid level is high and your pH level is low. How does acid enter your body? A cup of coffee, a sandwich, tap water, stress, and cell phones. Plus, your own body produces acid on a regular basis. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize the water you drink and raise your pH level. They promote more oxygen in your system, higher energy potential, and many other documented health benefits. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops is the least expensive and the best pH level product you can buy. Order AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for just $29.95 at AlkaVision.com, spelled A-L-K-A Vision.com, or call 800-518-7615. That's 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health with pH Drops from AlkaVision.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, we are being inundated by canines from around the neighborhood as we record this show. Obviously, E.T. or the crypto-terrestrials are afoot here, and they are disturbing the canines. Or they're having a severe debate over politics and the fiscal cliff. The UFO Singularity is the book. Micah Hanks is the guest with Gene and Chris. Chris, you want to pick up on the questioning with Micah? Well, yeah, As before we, we broke here, I would asked if you saw any indication that we are on a technological development curve that would lead to a place where we could have temporal-based technologies that could be simultaneously 
there and here and uh, in the past and the future, just sort of occupying that uh, that wonderful singularity space, as it were. Yeah, I, I certainly think that we're we're looking at technologies, uh, you know, on the horizon, so to speak, that uh, that might entail what you've described there. I do want to point out that uh, as as we enter this, uh, inevitably, people always want to contact me and say, "Well, you you don't know this or you don't know that because you are not a physicist." Well, that's true. I'm not a physicist, but what I do know is that, uh, and and this is kind of a hunch that I have. I think that understanding such things as entropy and the trend toward chaos, uh, you know, of all things in the, in the universe as we expand outward. When I say expand outward, obviously that's a reference to a big bang, but then again, that's only one potential explanation for the nature of space-time and the cosmos. We don't know entirely what we're dealing with, and thereby, again, I point out that the, the mainstream academic, uh, you know, sciences, the physicists out there, the Stephen Hawking's and, and the Michio Kaku's of the world, they do a good bit of speculation in terms of trying to understand how our universe may work and in terms of trying to deal with unseen potentials, you know, antimatter and dark matter and things like that, hypothesizing aspects of our unseen universe that may help in explaining what we could be dealing with. So, in my opinion... I look at such things as entropy as being important. The, the primary reason why is because if things trend toward chaos, humans, of course, are born, and as we, we get older, our bodies become slightly uh, less usable, and then, of course, you know, we expire. I, I resemble would, that remark. <laughs> well, we all do, and that's the whole thing, relative <laughs> to perception of time passing as a chronological fixture. But then again, I mean, we're humans. We can't, at least at present, escape that sort of thing. Now, if we reverse entropy or re reach what some have called a negentropy, a negentropic state even, uh, what we have is the ability to potentially live forever. But I would argue also in Hawking, this is one thing that I do agree with Stephen Hawking to an extent uh, about. In his book, A Brief History of Time, he talks about the, the computer-like you know, functions of the human mind and how entropy also plays on the human mind. And that he speculates that the reason we can perceive memories of the past but not memories of the future, all the while knowing that space-time is illusory, is evidenced already by things such as time dilation and other aspects of the observable universe that are in complete consistence in keeping with Einstein's relativity theory. If we are to look at such things as entropy and the potential that they have on the workings of the mind, Hawking speculated that as a result of the, the, the process of entropy, storing information and creating order, but the energy expended actually surpassing the order created by, for instance, the act of memorizing. Hawking suspected that this was a thermodynamic reason underlying why humans are capable of remembering the past but not the future. And yet, if we were to take into consideration the potential that such things as maybe psychic phenomena uh, show little glimmering instances where, for whatever reason, physically, the human mind is capable of getting around the uh, entropic forces that dictate the uh, what uh, Hawking calls the thermodynamic arrow of time, then maybe this shows that there are physical circumstances that could be modified or altered, much like, uh, you know, for instance, the passage of space-time itself, that could be utilized by technologies in the future to reverse such things as entropy, or at very least halt entropy. Uh, I think that, for instance, uh, when we look at nanotechnology, we begin to see technological you know, advances that are trending toward microscopic computer components and things like that that would not only be utilized in a computer system, but perhaps even in human beings for purposes of you know, finding and, 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 and uh, maybe curing certain ailments. But what we also see with nanotechnology in terms of computer science is the potential for microscopic components that are so small 
that utilizing such things as reverse computation, they might they might actually physically be capable of being perfectly efficient. Okay, in other words, these little tiny components microscopic nanotechnologies of the future, they might literally be so small that in their functional capacity, they expend little or no energy. And if they expend no energy, we've actually essentially halted entropy and we've found something very akin to that zero point, free energy. If we are able to reverse the thermodynamic processes by the utilization of advanced technologies, how will this be incorporated not only into computers, but maybe even into the thought functions of future humans? And furthermore, if Thermodynamic processes underlying human perception of space-time are thereby functionally altered. Will our perception of space and time, past, present, and perhaps the future, also be altered? There's a good chance that maybe it will, but it's going to utilize technology that we can't even fathom right now. Yeah, and that, that's a very good point. And, and another thing that I think people tend to forget is that as time time appears to be speeding up as it moves forward, and at the same time, complexity seems to become more complex. So you have this kind of strange dichotomy of, of entropy and at the same time a, an increased amount of complexity. Again, uh, to, to borrow a, a what-if from Terence McKenna, he postulated that instead of a Big Bang that we may be headed towards a big crunch that would be akin to some form of singularity. And uh, I've often found that um, if it's if it appears to be one way, chances are it's the exact opposite when you're dealing with with the paranormal or UFOs. And and I just I use the example in my talks of of being able to identify a particular pattern, and then really getting excited about that, and then and then you know looking at it, and then finding out that yes, my pattern seems to be correct. I'm getting you know additional you know supplemental data that's supporting the pattern. And then as soon as I open my mouth about it, it seems to go a 180 degree shift and does the exact opposite. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's that, uh, you know, that overused cliche of it's a, you know, a hall of mirrors with a quicksand floor that we're dealing with here. I love it. I love it. What what a wonderful playing field to be uh, to be thrust into, you know, to try and figure out these sorts of things. So, and, and thinking along those same lines, uh, you know, when I when I go out into the world, I'll, I'll walk into my car, opening my car door, perceiving the sensation of daylight around me, feeling the heat from the sun on my skin. I I, I catch myself at times uh, after thinking about these things in such a manner for so long. I begin to catch myself literally looking around the world at me and thinking that uh, this is. This is all energy around me. This is all an energetic reaction, and that what I appear to be a physical uh, intelligence, a sentient being, uh, is some strange accumulation of of whatever, <laughs> whatever. I mean, it, it goes beyond evolution. It goes beyond biology. It's something, some some sort of a, you know. And this is what's difficult about it. Words escape one at this point when they try and conceptualize. I realize that. Heat and cold and all these things are various different formations of energies present throughout the entire known universe. Uh, I'm capable of sensing these things. The, the act of sensing these things is obviously some sort of an energetic interaction. When we start seeing the universe like that, I mean, I think that truly, if you follow that line of thought and that way of thinking far enough, it could literally drive you mad. And this is what's so so strange and not infuriating, but it's certainly challenging for the UFO researcher or you know the researcher of any strange phenomena. Keep in mind that, of course, the study. We know, of course, throughout time as, as the scientific uh, you know, process, 
this is also all, this is from the very outset undertaken entirely the study of strange unexplainable phenomenon at what point in our history that the study of unexplained phenomena became something that was uh, the the stuff of pseudoscience it's really sad to me because i think that uh, you know that just shows that the mainstream seems to think that we know everything already that was never the case at the outset everything began and does begin as unexplained and we seek to try and better understand but <laughs> the further we go down the rabbit hole the more questions there are and i literally think that thinking along those lines could have the potential for driving one mad. And <laughs> well, it does. Uh, we hear of people burning out all the time. I, it, it's almost unavoidable in this field. One, one thing you mentioned is the, the term pseudoscience. I prefer proto-science. I think these are emerging <laughs> scientific fields of study and research. Uh, as soon as we get something that will turn the scientific community uh, on its ear and at least takes, uh, take at least some of this stuff uh, seriously and really marshal resources to, to, to study it, if that already isn't the case. Uh, I'll tell you what's the case. What's the case is we got to do the break. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Quantitative easing, unemployment at depression levels, Europe financial system falling apart, China getting out of U.S. treasuries. At the end of 2008, the time of TARP, the national debt was at 11 trillion gold, trading around $850 per ounce. Close to 2012, the national debt exceeded 16.4 trillion, gold doubled to $1,600 per ounce. The 20 trillion threshold for the national debt is inevitable. Politicians in Washington have a ferocious appetite for spending and stimulus. What's worse, a printing press to finance. A hundred years ago, we had a gold standard to limit this madness, but now you have to adopt your own gold standard. Don't be fooled with paper promises. Get Midas Resources 10 Reasons to Buy Gold free by calling 800-686-2237. Understanding the gold and silver market may be the only insurance you could have to avoiding the next economic crisis. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order your free copy. Again, that's 800-686-2237. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporeate e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition. 
attention by serving thousands of worldwide customers with Real People customer service, fast, free, same-day shipping, and a 30-day warranty and satisfaction guarantee. So are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle? Then call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. Or visit LeSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com. LeSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Gene and Chris and a pack of hounds, we're talking to Micah Hanks. And we're trying to make sense of his book, The UFO Singularity. Chris is into a fascinating line of questioning with Micah. I'd like to see you continue. Let's talk a little bit about uh, attendant phenomenon that um, may not be directly tied to the UFO mystery. And that is things like crypto creatures and unusual Fortean type uh, events, you know, a guy going fishing and losing his wedding ring, and 30 years later, he goes to the same spot, catches a fish, and inside the fish is his wedding ring. These inexplicable events that may not be well documented, but there's enough of them to suggest that there is something else going on. How do you look at uh, crypto creatures and you know the paranormal in general as it relates to, the, to a, a singularity sort of approach? I'll tell you, when I began the research into the unexplained, uh, you know, and tried to begin doing it professionally, writing about it and things like that for various articles and doing books and stuff, I I began looking at something like Bigfoot, for instance, as being exactly what it appears to be, a physical, biological species that that, that resembles humankind enough to where they, they literally resemble large, hairy humans, primitive humans. With time, however, my perceptions have have changed quite a bit in that I see that although a lot of the mainstream cryptozoologists try and discount these things, you carefully documented and you're stalking the tricksters, the fact that a lot of these reports of beasts and creatures and things like this don't necessarily conform always to what we perceive as being perceptual physical constants in this universe, you know, Sasquatches disappearing and things like that. trickster-esque phenomenon. That's key to all this, I think, because what we begin to see is that there is almost the sort of asking-you-shall-receive component to the study of strange phenomena. What I mean by that is that if you put it out there, nine times out of ten, it seems that people will tend to get a response. How many times do we hear about UFO reports where people have claimed that they have seen a UFO when they are standing outside and they look up at the sky and say, boy, 
I wonder what it would be like to see a UFO and then they see one. Now, some would, would say that it's literally just, it shows how easily that the mind can deceive an observer of any variety of phenomenon. I would argue to the contrary that, you know, when we see something like a person losing a, a wedding ring and, and it coming back in a fish or tossing a bottle out in a lake and then walking along a beach on the other side of the planet, you know, decades later and finding the bottle. I mean, there are instances where this sort of thing has happened. Their own message is right there in the bottle that they stoop down to pick up from decades before. And what that seems to show me is that there is almost what uh, my colleague, Dr. Maxim Kammerer, and I have referred to as a, a search engine-like capacity through which the web of reality seems to interact with sentient intelligences and beings like ourselves. This idea that there is a sort of a digitization of the universe. The universe doesn't have to be a physical computer with, with microchips and wires and things like that, but I think that digital, taken outside of the, the purely technological context and looking at digital as being evidence that a universe like ours could be some variety of a controlled simulation of sorts, a holographic sort of simulation. That allows us, it provides a sort of a framework, I think, philosophically and scientifically for looking at these strange synchronicities and the high strangeness reports, the the occurrences, the, the instances of the appearances of beasts and beings and things like that. It takes it out of the, the purely pseudoscientific and the purely folkloric and mythological and removes it and places it again in, into a context where we can say, what if aspects of space-time and our reality, though not entirely physical, perhaps quasi-physical by definition, but nonetheless, these are something that are evidence of an intelligent interaction going on in our midst. I think that that's really the way that I like to approach cryptozoology and a variety of other strange phenomena these days, because it seems to help me to build a philosophical framework, if nothing else, for the potentials that may exist in terms of our universe and what we perceive. And I'm by no means the only uh, individual who's postulated the notion that our universe and our worlds, we know it, and the human perception at large is just a you know an interaction with a simulated environment of some sort. So it's a video game. <laughs> well, you know, in a sense, a virtual kind of reality. Reality, yes. Yeah, like the uh, Matrix. <laughs> right. Where some, some sort of software program from some like young kid that developed it in the 11th dimension or something, you know, and we're just part of some sort of giant computer simulation. Well, how do we know what we are, you know? But, the, but that's the whole thing is that synchronicity is probably one of the most perplexing things to me in, 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 in all my studies, uh, you know, more so than UFOs, more so than cryptozoology, more so than anything, because the notion that the way that we interact with our physical environment could influence the actual nature of space-time absolutely, utterly fascinates me. And again, it does seem to point to the idea that maybe there's something a little synthetic about the nature of what we perceive as the world around us. I had a couple of girlfriends in college that I could have sworn were, were synthetic, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I've met a few people that I've kind of had to scratch my head and go, is this guy for real? Or You know, I agree. I, I remember as a kid wondering if this was all some sort of giant construct that appeared to be real, but, but, it, but in actuality, was there was some sort of structure or predetermination uh, going on. Of course, I... I don't really go there like I did when I was six or seven years old and wonder if everybody was in the next room memorizing their lines, that sort of thing. But I think everybody at one point in their in their life has this feeling. They look around and go, is this really real? 
I know I do occasionally, especially when I'm out in the field and all sorts of weird stuff is going on and people are telling me, you know, stuff that's just so far off the charts of believability that the giggle factor would run away from it. It's kind of hard not to have those thoughts. So where are we here in the conversation about your book? I really love the couple of case studies that you had in there, the whole idea of futurists and transhumanism and technology becoming self-aware. Where do you think we could go with this subject now that we've kind of given a brief overview and dug into it a bit? Where, where are you going to take this uh, this line of research? As I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of people who, who I interviewed for the book and others who gracefully declined the interview because I was equating transhumanism, future technologies, existent technologies, the hyperbolic trend toward growth, a greater than exponential growth in the rate of technology itself, and then, of course, the idea of artificial intelligence. When we look at these sorts of things, and I try and pair those amidst UFOs, a lot of the people who are experts in those various fields didn't see where I was going with it. A few of them graciously accepted and and consented to doing interviews with me. A few of them just said, you know, maybe next year, thanks, good luck with the book. Nice way of at least saying we're not interested in being associated with this subject matter. I think that what I would like to see in terms of having presented this argument in terms of you know what appear to be UFO craft, rather, are what appear to be technology that exceeds natural human technologies available to us and, and intelligent that we are at present capable of. If we have technology that appears to exceed the known technologies here on planet Earth, can we look at that in a sense, you know, kind of focused on that as being a goal and then try and utilize the growth of technology trending toward a better understanding of those kinds of technologies? Will that aid us in the long run in terms of getting us maybe off of terra firma? It could help in cosmological, you know, space exploration and things along these lines. It could help in terms of producing food sources and dealing dealing with scarcity and, and those kinds of issues that really do hit home in terms of our survival as a species and a civilization here on planet Earth. So I would love to be able to take this concept, looking at our own technology, what technologies may exist but that are remain clandestine, looking at how alien technologies elsewhere might utilize a similar progression through technological stages in their advancements as a, as a civilization, compare that to our own and better understand the potentials for alien life existing elsewhere, and then, of course, looking at the nature of space-time and, and dimensions as we might call them, physical universes and things like that, and how those aspects could play into the appearance of non-human advanced intelligences. Take all those things, and let's bring this together and look at it academically. We have Micah Hanks with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many 
formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now I can help you reduce or eliminate your tax debts and end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce and eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. And with the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. HempUSA.org has a newly designed website and a new and improved detoxification product. Order our new Microplant Powder Gold loaded with vitamins, minerals, iodine, and probiotics, and we'll send you our travel size Microplant Powder absolutely free. Microplant Powder only at HempUSA.org. Call 908-691-2608. That's 908-691-2608. And see what our powders, seeds, and oil can do for you only at HempUSA.org. Only this offer ends January 31st. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. This is Jerome Clark, author of UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. This show is not going to the dogs, ladies and gentlemen, on the Paracast in our neighborhood where we record the show. We have no way of filtering out the sounds of barking dogs. 
who are debating the singularity and whether the entire universe is a computerized simulation that may not be sane, as John Keel said. There you go. The book is called The UFO Singularity with Micah Hanks. We have a couple of more segments to go. And, Chris, there were one or two questions in our forums. You want to move into those, and then we'll get back to these discussions? Here's a good question from uh, Conrad Hartman, who's been a a member of the Paracast Forum uh, at forum.theparacast.com for almost a year. From time to time, he chimes in with some pretty interesting questions, and I think he has one here. We've talked about UFOs in the future, so um, we'll just kind of have to um, look at this and then uh, address his implication. If UFOs may be traveling from the future, may we not today create the UFOs that we encounter? Does this imply that we have a choice in what we may begin to see? Might we view abduction phenomena as a nef- as the nefarious outcomes of human actions today? Those are all important uh, questions to ask. Indeed, I, I would argue that if if we are not behind various advanced, uh, uh, you know, intelligences or, or rather uh, what appear to be advanced technological presences in our midst, UFOs flying through our skies and the like, if, if that's nothing that is earthbound, but we study seriously the potentials for harnessing similar technologies on our own, then yes, we will inevitably trend toward technologies that are capable of doing what we see UFOs doing. And then when we look at the the abduction scenario, now that's an interesting one because, and I do get into this just a little in the book, like Kevin Randall, uh, who I heard say this on the Paracast, in fact, uh, he had had mentioned that he felt that there are very few explanations for alien abduction that have to go beyond planet Earth. I, I do agree Largely, largely with that, but uh, I, I would also say that I don't want to sound like I'm being, you know, dismissive of the claims of those who have actually been through a, a an abduction experience. Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, I, I bring this one up often, but in 1973, being abducted there, Pascagoula, Mississippi, that was a big one because again, we see a physical craft come down, it lands, non-human entities take those two gentlemen aboard the craft, they're returned after a few minutes, they're very, very shaken up, they're taken to the uh, local sheriff's department they're recorded unbeknownst to them and of course even when there was no one else in the room the men weren't you know corroborating on a lie they were they were they you know continued to sound very disturbed and 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 terrified very distressed by what what had happened and they kept or they rather they maintained the details for the large part uh, in terms of what they remembered occurring that night of the abduction throughout their lives so it's very interesting because there are some instances that definitely seem to point to there being something going on that might not be quite human. I'd like to think that the things that took uh, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker aboard that craft weren't human. By the same token, there are, I would think, in a majority of, and I yes, I say a majority of cases pertaining to alien abduction, instances and explanations that seem to point to me back to a human component in this. So does that get into the you know the government conspir- conspiracies or my labs or... Things like that. Who knows? I, I don't begin to, to try and know those things myself. Could it be that time travelers from the future are trying to improve themselves by going back in time and, and you know modifying and operating on human beings? For whatever reason, I suspect that's not the case, but it's certainly a possibility and a potential that we have to, we have to entertain at very least. Uh, but I don't think, and this is the bottom line, uh, I don't think that the alien abduction phenomena is exactly what maybe Bud Hopkins and, and, and several others have, have strived to try and document over the years. That's a part of it, uh, but on a perceptual level, this is what we perceive it as being 
you know, the interactions with these gray aliens and these beings, I think that there's a lot more to it. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with not so much the physical interactions, but the way that humans and the human mind interprets certain things and the resultant phenomena uh, as a result of those interactions and interpretations. Good point. Uh, I I really don't know what to uh, what to think about the abduction phenomenon as it's been covered by the well-known research uh, community, the Hopkins, the Jacobs, uh, John Carpenter. And I, I've always wondered why it is that certain uh, researchers tend to attract the exact kind of case that there seems to support whatever whatever theory they have to explain the the mystery. Um, I find it interesting that real negative uh, encounters or alleged encounters uh, aren't featured in Leo Sprinkle's work or Barbara Lamb or some of the other more benevolent ET <laughs> believers. I, I think I can use that term. It's interesting. It's it's almost like uh, you know, particular researcher has his has his particular uh, view of this, and in, in in the cases that are attracted to him tend to support that view. Another thing that uh, I find uh, also very interesting is is the assertion by Dr. Stephen Greer that that abductions if they're negative uh, are are solely due to uh to the military that uh, the abduction phenomenon is is completely homespun it's it's the military doing psyops and that sort of thing and and discounting the possibility that uh ETs who he he feels are are universally benevolent uh, <laughs> are not responsible for some of the horrific you know encounters that people have reported i i do tend to agree with you on this and kevin randall i think there's a lot of prosaic explanations that need to be looked at before you jump to the high strange uh one of the most interesting explanations uh to potentially explain at least the mechanism behind this or how it actually happens was told to hoyt velarde who is uh, was a longtime uh, head of Department of Public Safety at the Hickory Apache Reservation. And during his tr- uh, spiritual training, he asked his grandfather m- many years ago what he thought of this whole idea of, of abductions. And, um, and without going into a long-winded explanation, uh, which actually there wasn't one, but the bottom line, I think, of his uh, answer was that, you know, you're not taken out of your bed, out of your room, through the wall, through a window, and up to a ship. The ship actually forms around you. And that kind of, that hints hints at some of the things that we've been talking about today, that there is some sort of, you know, potential for, for you know, by location, you know, occupying two different places and times at the same at the same time. Uh, and uh, I always found that fascinating uh, coming from a Native American medicine man that uh, you're not taken to the ship. The ship actually forms around you. Uh, yes. But why can't you also assume the experience is totally in their minds? I think uh, a lot of cases uh, that is the case. But um, there are a number of cases that that uh, I think. You can't explain away that easily, and uh, um, there I think they're a lot rarer and fewer and farther between than than your uh, abduction research community would like to uh, to believe. Uh, I've heard you know incredible you know figures about how millions of people are getting abducted, and it, it, to me that just doesn't it doesn't wash it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't make sense. You know, why would you need to abduct somebody if you were an advanced? Uh, race or an advanced uh, intelligence uh, and and utilize you know a level of technology that that we've already surpassed it it, it just doesn't make sense there's something about it that just doesn't make sense what, what i would assume also i would assume also if you wanted to take samples of the local populace 
you'd need like male, female, different racial characteristics, a few of each, and that's it. Not hundreds, not thousands, not millions. You'd think so. But uh, but again, I would also put this out there that uh, what a human survey of animal life on a distant planet might be uh, could be different from that of an extraterrestrial intelligence that has evolved and maybe is more evolved, more intelligent uh, than we are. Uh, so there are reasons, there are motivations, and maybe the necessity for uh, landings and, and, of course, abductions and things like that in scientific uh, studies. The, the reasons, the methodologies employed may be vastly different. I think that in terms of trying to apply logic to alien abduction phenomena, we inherently and almost inescapably will anthropomorphize our alien visitors, our presumed alien visitors. But something I like that you brought up, Gene, is, well, but what if these things are all in the mind? What I would ask is, and I honestly feel that probably more than half of all alien abductions, putting up the air quotes, do occur in the, the mind of the abductee. But I don't necessarily think that the fact that it is a mental construct precludes the possibility that there's something actually occurring between two intelligences. It wouldn't have to be, in other words, in my mind, that something would be entirely physical for it to be a valid phenomenon. It could be some kind of interaction on our subconscious all over again, perhaps. Micah Hanks joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Big business has discovered the preparedness market, and that makes it difficult to know where to go and who to trust. MyPatriotSupply.com is owned and operated by patriots just like you. Has the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more. MyPatriotSupply.com has old-fashioned values and the absolute best customer service in the industry. Look for the deal of the day, unique affordable survival. Survival supplies that fit anyone's budget. Get same day shipping on all orders and free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866 229 0927. 866 229 0927. Or visit mypatriotsupply.com for emergency preparedness, self reliance, and food independence. Shop with a name you know and a name you can trust. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. Mypatriotsupply.com. Land in Buenos Aires, then are shuttled to Santa Rosa, where a nicely furnished cabin with all amenities, Wi-Fi, executive food and wine, and laundry service awaits. 
After a good night's sleep, your adventure begins. You're on a golden stag safari for big game. But it's not Africa. It's Argentina. One-on-one guided hunts for water buffalo, cougar, bighorn rams, wild boar, and the biggest stag deer in South America. All gold medal quality. All the action you can handle. Land Rovers, top rental guns with scopes, all food, beverages, hunting guides, ground transportation included, and more, all more affordable than you can imagine. The adventure of a lifetime starts at GoldenStagSafaris.com, the big game hunting ranch, GoldenStagSafaris.com. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months, simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. With Gene and Chris, the dogs are still here, still making noises, still arguing over whether UFOs are really ET. We have Micah Hanks, author of the UFO Singularity. We continue with an amazing set of discussions, Chris. Yeah, Micah, uh, one element that uh, has always intrigued me about uh, the paranormal or potential paranormal is the the Tibetan uh, concept of the tulpa or a created um, uh, life form, basically, that is temporal in nature. It's uh, generally considered to be a temporary – I wouldn't even know how to – a being, I guess. Uh, uh, there's stories that Tibetan – high Tibetan lamas are able to manufacture porters uh, out of thin air to carry their bags up the mountain. And then once they get to their destination, they are – they're dissolved. Uh, where do you come down on the whole idea of, of the tulpa? Well, I think it would be really easy to dismiss it all as being just, oh, you know, the imaginations of or the cultural interpretations of this or that and any, any you know, indigenous, uh, you know, culture anywhere around the world. But uh, I've studied tulpas quite a bit, and I hear that my friend David Weatherly will be writing a book about tulpas before long as well. I'd be interested in seeing that. I know that when we take it back to John Keel, he talked about, of course, the Tibetan lamas talking about the creation of an intelligence or of a sentient being through an intense focused thoughts. And then in my research for the book Magic, Mysticism, and the Molecule, I dug into um, the Hebrew Book of Formation as it pertained to golem legends and things like this. The Maharal of Prague, who in the 1500s, you know, had created a, a golem there. Yeah, a human nu- nucleus, or what are they? There's What's the other type? A hu- human nucleus? How do, you, how do you say that? A homunculus, right. homunculus, yeah. there we go. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of different legends associated with the creation of artificial humans, which, now tell me this, 
how is that different from the notion of creation of artificial intelligence? If we were to look at a historic lineage of the creation of artificial intelligence, you'd have to look at all the golems, all the tulpas, all the homunculi that have arisen over time, you know, and all the, uh, the androids that we suppose that we might be able to create technologically in the future. It seems to be, in other words, a trend uh, that is emerging here. And that trend has to do with the fact that humans innately are always aspiring to create. You know, like the legends of the Judeo-Christian Bible show that uh, God made Adam in his image, humans are doing the very same sort of thing. And I have argued that as opposed to taking that uh, literal religious interpretation of the Bible, God came and he in seven days created, you know, whatever. I would say that maybe human kind, okay, or even life as we know it on Earth or anywhere else in the universe could have been an experiment in artificial intelligence unto itself, and that we are the homunculi, if you will, of some vast intelligence, perhaps a non-physical intelligence elsewhere in the universe. And maybe the next stage after the creation of physical intelligence here will be the byproduct of our advanced technologies of the future, and that byproduct will be the digitization of advanced intelligences that are not our own Perhaps we had a hand in creating them, but they go forth just like uh, the Adam that we become, the Adam and Eve, and, and they go forth and they create something else. It's a, a, a perplexing and even at times a troubling prospect. But I think that, again, you know, when we look at topoidal phenomenon and golems and things like this, it shows that in our culture it's rooted in our existence that humanity is trying to create others in our image. Something that is so innate to us that you know we go through this in, in, in terms of the circle of life. Uh, you know, and, and the way that we've evolved as a species, you know, the creation of, of more humans through reproductive uh, processes. We, we're always trying to create others like us, all the while looking for others out there that may have had something to do with creating us as we know it. And that's a good point. You know, you, you brought up the uh, the cultural um, aspect of, of tulpas and how it, it, you know, it could be easily dismissed as just some sort of uh, subcultural uh, belief that uh, – Maybe mythic in nature. There, there's an, uh, a pretty interesting story, though, in my in my book, uh, stalking the tricksters of Alexandra David Neal, who went was one of the first Western women actually to go to Tibet, and um, she did uh, quite an extensive, uh, uh, I guess, sis, uh, systematic learning and, and studying in in, in a ver- variety of meditation techniques, and and she claims that she was able to actually create a tulpa at one point. But she didn't really have the knowledge of how to make it go away, and it started becoming more and more self-aware. It tended to start copying an attitude. It wouldn't mind her, and uh, it was only through intense effort that she was able to banish it. Uh, it just it, – I think we live in a wonderful reality. We don't – I don't think we really fully you know, have a, a complete awareness of, of the potential out there and uh, in some you know, back corner – of some jungle somewhere, there may be some sort of shamanic substance that allows uh, the human mind to be utilized in, in ways that, that, you know, in the in modern technological age, we, we couldn't conceive of. And, uh, you know, your your book, uh, uh, your, your prior book, uh, it goes into this whole line of thinking. And uh, I, I think this is a brave new world. And, you know, what's what's next? Speaking of a brave new world, what's next on your agenda? What, what are you currently working on uh, for your next projects? 
I was asked about three years ago, uh, and, and funny enough, you know, between Magic Mysticism and the Molecule and uh, this UFO Singularity book, there was another book that uh, was uh, authored earlier this year called Reynolds Mansion, uh, a uh, Invitation to the Past, uh, kind of looks at, uh, you know, uh, psychic phenomenon, ghosts, and things like that, uh, and it was more of a regional book in my western North Carolina, but uh, nonetheless, uh, having authored these three, I'm looking back, I remember when the first book came out, I was asked what the next one would be about, and really, I said then that I felt that the next sizable contribution would be about ufos and having been asked a similar question here i'm looking at um, psychic phenomenon and how that may relate to singularitarian uh, technologies of the future i think that there's a good potential as we touched on a bit during this interview toward the beginning uh, that yeah we're going to be seeing functional telepathy and other kinds of what we would call psychic phenomenon that are achieved through technology in the coming years yeah i know there's there's some very good work being done that uh, I think the scientific community pretty much, I think, um, it, it generally uh, dismisses. But, you know, the work of Dean Radin, um, Stanley uh, Kupner, um Ray Stanford's brother, Rex Stanford, uh, there are some very, very compelling uh, research results that would indicate that there, there is uh, – the human mind has uh, an amazing uh, capabilities and certain individuals uh, – appear to be graced with um, exceptional abilities. And, you know, it'd be great to get uh, the scientific community to acknowledge uh, this emerging field of, of scientific research uh, instead of just dismissing it out of hand. I know Dean Radin is just, well, he's almost bald now. That's because he's been pulling his hair out for so many years, uh, trying to gain the level of respect that uh, I think is due him and people like Rupert Sheldrake and, and others that have done an amazing amount of work in this field. And it's, I, I think they're unsung heroes. And um, it would be great if you could get Rupert Sheldrake uh, or Dean Radin to to uh, sit down and maybe have an interview. Uh, I think that would be a, that would be a real coup for you. Well, absolutely. And, you know, it's the, the research of those kinds of individuals, uh, you know, that I would hope to be able to incorporate in this sort of thing. And, and like you said, uh, you know, bringing uh, awareness, not, not not so much that it's like we have knowledge and we just want people to pay attention to it. Please, all you academics, come see the good work we've done. It's more a sense of looking at what I've tried to outline throughout the course of our conversation. Conversations I always enjoy. It's so great to always being able to talk, uh, Chris, with you and Gene. But, uh, you know, I have to say that uh, if there was the central crux to all this, even more so than the UFO singularity, it is that we should plant ourselves in that that rational and yet at times also radical center and let's not go in with a presupposition of belief or disbelief and and what i'd love to see is the sciences approaching this sort of subject matter with a little more of that you know at the paradigm symposium event that uh, i put on with my pal scotty roberts in uh, uh, minneapolis back this past october that emerged as a primary theme we had a, a journalist from skeptical inquirer that came out to cover the event and i'm sure he came out thinking he was going to be laughing at all these people because you know eric von daniken and a lot of the ancient aliens guys were there. The late Philip Coppins, of course, was there with us as well. Uh, he left, and before he did, he spoke with Scotty and I and said, you know, uh, what was fantastic about this event is that we saw a, a, a sincere desire for people that were academics that were there, and then there were also people who were ancient alien theorists and all this. And there seemed to be a sincere desire among all of them to try and bridge that gap between the two perspectives. And and I think that's what we really need to do. Let's find a logical center and let's root ourselves there and let's bring this together in the spirit of inquiry and providing knowledge. Where can we find more of your information, Micah Hanks? Of course, the website is www.gralienreport.com. That's the Graylian Report. I've got a podcast that goes up on the website just as well. The new book is The UFO Singularity, available in bookstores everywhere and on Amazon.com. You can find us at theparacast.com. The dogs are not going to be there, but we're going to be there. 
And we've got, of course, a lot more excitement coming next week. And by the way, we are on Twitter. Send us a tweet. Look for us. It's called The Paracast. We are The Paracast on Twitter. Chris O'Brien's site is OurStrangePlanet.com. OurStrangePlanet.com. Micah Hanks, thanks for joining us this week on The Paracast. My pleasure. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.